are listening to the Freeform Rock Podcast with Mark Alden Taylor. Welcome to the Freeform Rock Podcast with me and... And me! And, and him! And him! <laughs> and, and me! is Ken Mills. How you doing, Ken? I am he as you are me and we are we and we are all together. <laughs> I am the... Lee, you yeah. are the Ken. He is Someone's the Mark Freeform <laughs> Podcast. Yeah, someone's got to be the Eggman, right? I was probably the Eggman this morning. I was probably eating cuckoo cocoa puffs, and someone said, "Lee, you're going cuckoo. You're not eating cuckoo cocoa puffs." And I, oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> That's funny. <There> go. <laughs> well, today we have uh, Ken Mills here, the Podfather. And we're going to review the 1966 album by the Beatles called Revolver, if you guys know that album. I think you guys do. But uh, before we get into that, I'd like to like uh, talk about, I want to ask Ken's opinion on this. So if a, if a band you love does an album that you don't like, and then people are arguing with you saying they're growing, what do you think about that? Like, wow, man. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's see. Um, it just comes down to opinion and choice and, and thought, right? It, you, there's, you can't... I, as a matter of fact, I said something this weekend to a group of people. Uh, somebody said that they're always telling... Somebody was always telling somebody that their musical opinion was wrong or that their bands that they like sucked. And I said, the only wrong opinions in music are when you tell somebody else that their opinion doesn't matter. That's true. Because I can say, I don't like this song, I don't like this band, I don't like this album, I don't like those costumes, I don't like that haircut. And then someone else can say, but I love all of those things you don't like. And to you, it's 100% true. To that person, it is 100% true. To, you know, so you all, we all have our lanes, right? Yeah. So... It's it's just as simple as that. So so did somebody say that this album was great and you just didn't understand? No, it's um, a new album came out by my second favorite band of all time, Tesla, Shock. And I was in a Tesla group and I said, I really don't like this album. And uh, I feel they were neutered by Phil Collin of Def Leppard. They made him sound like Tesla made them sound like Def Leppard and people started crying to me and I said hey man if you like it it's fine I was just giving an opinion but you should be here to support the band not tear them down I said I wasn't tearing them down I just gave an opinion on this album that it wasn't the Tesla that I remembered and they kept saying well they're growing and I said I my opinion they're not growing I think they regressed to pop the the cheesy pop and it, they just got all mad and I had to leave the group because they were just like totally well, on me We'll see. I would have said that they were growing mold. <laughs> As opposed to old or young, they're growing mold. But yeah. here's the thing. You made the mistake of talking to fans. You, yeah. A dedicated fan thing. A community, right? Yeah. And for a lot of people, like, Kiss is a band I love, and there's things that they've done that I really don't like, and things that, I, that they've done that I really do love, right? Yeah. And all of those things are valid to me. Right? Mm -hmm. And uh, if you let other people's opinions bother you, 
you're not looking at the right thing. Just remember that. No matter what happens, no matter whether you're talking about politics or anything, uh, food, your favorite restaurant, whatever, if you're looking for validity in other people's opinions, you will never find it. Because you'll only find those people that believe the same thing you do or feel the same way you do. And that's that bubble, right? And there are some fans that only want to live in that bubble where, hey, I don't care what band it is. Let's say it's ZZ Top, right? So let's say you, the three of us are the biggest ZZ Top fans and we start a ZZ Top board, right? And it's like, hey, everything ZZ Top's ever done is great, right? And then someone comes in, yeah, but when they changed the drum sound... On those original albums, that sucked. And some people go, I just think it's growing with the times. And it doesn't, oh. mean, it doesn't mean that it's not true because I don't know if you know this or not, but ZZ Top, once they got, remember when they changed from like being this really cool bluesy rock band, then they found some success in, you know, Rough Boys and She's Got Legs and all those yeah. songs that came out. When it was time to re-release those albums, they went in and made the drums sound on their first albums the same way that it sounded on those other albums. So now you huh. had two different versions of those albums. And a lot of the fans were like, man, then why did they fucking change what we love? Well, because if somebody wants to have the ZZ Top that's selling like 4 million albums, you know, on this version, they wanted to keep it consistent. It's kind of like when Kiss put out Creatures of the Night with a non-makeup cover because at the time, Kiss found a new audience because they were sans makeup, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So they put that album out with a lineup that didn't play on it. But then again, the lineup that's on the original album didn't really all play on it either. So oh, yeah. uh, I know, would have liked to have I would have liked to have a version of Creatures of the Night where the grooves were blank. <laughs> that's possible. But, but but that's just me. I'll tell you what I'll sell it to you. It's oh, called okay. a it's called a blank CD. I'll take ten ninety nine. I won't even then. put a cover. I won't even put a cover on it. You can imagine it's what you will. But <laughs> the you. good news for ZZ Top's fan is that those albums eventually were re-released on, uh, you know, CD in their with their original drums. So that was good. Yeah. Uh, you know, you mentioned yeah. we talked about albums that. Uh, you know, I'll sell you whatever. I thought it was cool that Dwight Yoakam put out an album that did not have a cover on it. Huh. It just had a CD and it had written on it. It looked like it was right written, but it was pressed that way, right? Oh. And it was, it was very bare bones and it had like a website, www.dwightyoakam, blah, blah, blah. So okay. you like get it and there's no cover inside the thing. Huh. I remember when record stores got it, they were like, "Well, did they mess up? Did they, did they not send huh. the cover?" But that's the way he wanted it put out. You know, he wanted it to look like, "Here's something I made, and here you go." I kind of like that. I I like some of Dwight Yoakam. I think that's a that's interesting. I think Dwight Yoakam is uh, he's he's kind of the bridge between country and rock, right? Yeah. And, uh, just, just like the Eagles are a bridge to country and rock, yeah. and it, it that goes on and on and on to the point yeah. where now we have uh, 
country music that sounds like the Backstreet Boys 80s pop and Backstreet Boys that sounds <laughs> like modern country. So yeah. I don't I don't understand it all. Well, and Bon Jovi is um, the bridge between the Backstreet Boys and me running the hell away in the other direction. <laughs> well, it's like when System of uh, uh, Down put out an album called Still This Album to talk about like all the illegal downloading. They said, hey, Still This Album. <laughs> oh. I thought that was funny. Yeah. yeah. So I was just I was just perplexed because I was in the Tesla group and I was just giving my opinion. I just wanted to see if anybody in Tesla's fandom thought the same way I did or I was crazy. A lot of them said they agreed with me, but the ones who didn't were like really, really fanatic. Like like you said about KISS fans, they reminded me of the KISS turds, you know, that you can't say <laughs> anything bad about them or they're just going to uh, just totally hang you. <laughs> and I was like, damn, I just gave you my opinion. I didn't tell you. And then some guy says, you're telling people to hate this album. I go, no, I'm telling people that I don't like it. What's your opinion? <laughs> so... That was well, it. I would suggest that whether you... Oh, crap. Do you guys edit? Yeah, I'll stop it. Pause it. Um, we're editing right now because I've got a spam caller. <laughs> I'll just leave it on there. That's funny. All right. <laughs> I went off on a spam caller the other day. He said they were from the IRS. I go, really? IRS doesn't call you jerk? And he started cussing at me. I go, exactly. You're not IRS. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. There you go. Uh, now, speaking of taxes, when I figure out what the damage is, I'm sure I'll be cursing. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, so you know, instead of worrying about what this fan thinks or what that fan thinks, I think we should just turn off our minds, relax, and float downstream. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to know if anybody thought the same thing I did. That was it. I just wanted other people's opinions on it because I've never heard a bad Tesla album, in my opinion. But this is the first one that I heard that just didn't really hit me. Even the last one had some songs I didn't like, but most of it, in majority, was okay with me. But the one thing that I will say is that even though I like some of their songs, but I'm not a big fan of their albums per se after i heard some of the new album i actually went back to listen to some of the older album just to get my palate cleansed and i liked it better <laughs> so to to me that's that's one purpose of the new album is to get someone like me to like their older stuff more yeah <laughs> that's funny all right so we are we're off this topic now let's get into our newer artist of, of the uh spotlight you uh you picked Julia Jacqueline Head Alone, yeah, Lee, and then I yeah. picked a group called Battle Beast Eden, and you picked a, an artist I've never heard of, Alex Jules in L.A. Can you talk about a little bit about him or her? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I've actually met this guy. I met this guy this weekend, as a matter of fact. I went and saw the Monkees in what may be their last U.S. date. Uh, Mike Nesmith has decided he's going to stop, and I guess they're going to do one jaunt left in Australia coming up, but that he's kind of done. And since there's only two of them left, that puts Mickey at a solo act, right? Yeah. Which is weird because there's a part uh, in the Monkees TV show where one by one they're at like this haunted mansion or castle, and one by one they get like captured by something. 
And the last scene of it is uh, Mike and Mickey are alone, and he says, uh, you know, when, when Peter got taken away, he said, well, uh, sorry, edit that out. When, when Davy got taken away, Mickey said, we can form a trio. And then when Peter got taken away, he said, we can be a duo. And then he says, Mike, Mike, what if you get taken away? And, and then he says, well, you know, we'll face that bridge when we come to it. Mickey goes, I'll be all alone. It'll be like, here I come, walking down the street. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm a monkey. You know, so yeah. it might be that we're at that point right now, right? As weird yeah, as that sounds. It kind so, of reminds oh, oh, go on. Oh, no, on. you were saying? Oh, I was just going to say, it kind of reminds me of a Facebook group that I started, which is all the best people and all their best opinions about music. And right now I'm the only member. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes solo bands are the, the ones that you like the best, right? Solo artists. So, <laughs> yeah. But this, this gentleman uh, was the keyboardist for the Monkees this year. And... Uh, I've struck up a bit of a friendship with him, but before that, I bought his album. And because I wanted to see what this cat was into, right? And mm -hmm. I went on Bandcamp, and you can listen to the whole album for free. So we can put links in the show notes of how you can listen to this entire album for free. Okay. Right okay. on. Now, the song I'm picking, it's off the album Topiary from the artist Alex Jules. And this is an album that when you hear it, you go like, what year did this come out? Because as as we record this, this is 2019. But when you listen to this album, there's parts that sound like 1974. Cool. Like, how is that possible? And it's a cat. The drumming is real drums. That's one thing. You're not hearing a drum machine. And it's a lot of songs about having a relationship being in love in a dysfunctional relationship it's just all the things that make us a good song right yeah yeah and uh finding love and losing love and all that stuff and being struck stuck in a trailer with no food uh that's one mm -hmm. song but the song i'm going to play for you is a song called la as in okay. in la here we're stuck here in LA, right? Yeah. And it's it's it sounds like something that you would have heard like 1978 pop. Like, you remember the guy that did "Thank You for Being a Friend," the Golden Girl yeah. song, yeah. something yeah. like that. Something like Leo Sayers, but it's also something like ELOs in here and Paul McCartney oh. back in the 70s. And okay. I said to him, I said, you know, this song, re the, the, your album really sounds like 2019 meets 1978 1974 he said well that's exactly what i was going for i said well you nailed it but this is not the entire album but you can listen to the whole album for free just think of that folks and you're not ripping anyone off you, you're not you can just listen to it and decide if you like it and if you do like it do do what i did if you're so inclined i bought the cd and you get the download with it and we can put links in the show notes and you're supporting an artist and I, I really, I really dig this album. So here is in L.A. off of Topiary by Alex Jules. Take it away, Alex.
My spectrum's been washed over And my colors bleeding out When the time is right, you betcha I'm gonna paint myself a picture Of the sun not going down
Okay, that was Alex Jules and uh, Julia Jacqueline and Battle Beast Eden. Uh, so Alex Jules, man, he sounds really, like you said, really, really 1970s, man. This guy is really a cool cat. Yeah, especially, and, and the acoustics, too. It, it it made me sound like I had just gone home from the thrift store where I was buying albums from the 70s and just listening to the next one I got. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Back in the days when you joined the record club and you might get like six albums, you don't know why the hell they showed up. But yeah. They so you just check them out. That's how I found Prince back in the day, right? Yeah. Oh. Like that's that, that's how I discovered Prince. I got like the first Prince album. And I'm like, what is this? You know, it, I didn't I didn't send it back, so I wound up keeping it and became a Prince fan for life. But Alex well, Jules, man, real drums, real keyboards real guitars it's oh, not yeah. it's not that's a it's cool. not a fake heartbeat on that drummer that's a real thing so great stuff check it out alex jules topiary is the album the artist is alex jules the song was la so there you go that w that was a cool track man uh so let's get into this uh beatles album you know revolver but uh you know that this wasn't named after a gun this was named about the record the vinyl playing oh, on the yeah. record player. <laughs> so just oh. let you guys know, this is not about cool. gun violence. <laughs> I used to watch record labels go and spinning around. They were so just talking about a subtle, subtle reference of vinyl records revolving around record players. This is how they got the name. <laughs> but it, it's complicated because there was an ad for the album, mm -hmm. and it had bang oh, wow. underneath wow. the picture of the album. So it was kind of weird, and then later, I remember when Kiss put out the Love Gun album, it was a similar-looking uh, advertisement where it said, Bang, oh. Love Gun, Kiss. You wow. Know? But th that's just parts of my weird fandom. And, you know, you mentioned the record labels, right? I still, uh, my, my soul gets moist. I know that that's going to sound really weird because when we talk about someone's getting moist, we're talking oh, about something fine. I've but, said other things that are weird, yeah. but go on. <laughs> but it's it's like whenever I see the old Capitol logo with the rainbow, it's all black, oh, yeah. but it's got a rainbow ridge around it. My heart just goes back to that. It's just like when I see a 45 spindle. Like, yeah, I bought t-shirts and jewelry that has that 45 spindle on it, right? Like, yeah. I think I should become 45, man. Which, again, has nothing to do with guns revolving again. But oh. And then on the Beatles 45s, they had that yellow and orange. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, I used my. to watch um, I Am The Walrus spin around and around, and it made me feel like I was high, even though I was only, like, four years old, and I didn't use drugs, but I was pretty out there, and that's because of the music I heard, and... I'm the Walrus was typical of the way I felt, but I really liked that song. Yeah. It was Excellent. like Warner Brothers used to have that with the palm trees and stuff. That was pretty cool also. Yeah. Oh, which, yeah. Which that reminded me of Casablanca because you had that drawing of the palm trees and everything in yeah. Warner Brothers because it kind of said where they were coming from. And then Casablanca oh, yeah. had like some palm trees on it too, right? Yeah. So it was like, how are they related? When I was a kid... Like, we were talking about the Capitol Rainbow thing and the black, and then we had the 45 thing, right? It would freak me out when I'd see a Beach Boys album. Mm. Because for some reason, I thought that that yellow and orange only belonged to the Beatles, right? Like, I thought for the longest time oh, okay. that 
if you saw the orange and yellow, that that belongs to the Beatles, and this this rainbow pattern that belongs to the Beatles. And then when I started getting like other forty fives from the same company from Capitol, I was like, well, that just confused the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah. If I had felt that way back then, I might have written a letter to them and saying, please stop doing this color thing on other groups because it's confusing me. You want me to be your best buyer. Please start thinking of other colors for other groups. Thank you. you know? <laughs> well, what was weird also was one of the things about vinyl that we don't have anymore because the, there was not the internet. The only ways of really getting people's attention was TV print and uh radio right and now everything is mostly internet and stuff like that but the thing is is that back in the day you would get a beatles album and you'd open it up and on the sleeve of the album itself it didn't have the lyrics it didn't have a picture of the band it had other artists on the label yep so you would see all these other bands, and I'd be like, well, I wonder if they sound like the Beatles. Because I kept thinking, well, this has got to be Friends of the Beatles, or somehow they work together. I would, tr- it, But we're talking about four-year-old mind, right? So Yeah. It was made I, even uh, worse when I, I remember, I, I started reading at a very young age, okay? I remember uh, my uh, first grade teacher taking away my comic books because I asked her a question. And I would sound out words that I didn't know. And I remember reading the Fantastic Four. And there was a thing where they trapped the Human Torch. Dr. Doom trapped the the Fantastic Four in all these four different areas that made their powers weak, right? So, Uh like, with the Human Torch, he locked him in a completely Aspazito room. Mm. Now, I went to my, my first grade teacher and I said, what is Aspazito's? And she says, that's not Aspazitos, that's asbestos. Oh! Oh, wow. And she she called my mom in, she took my comic books away and said, I'm really glad that Ken has, like, a really good reading level for a first grader, but could you not let him bring comic books to school? (laughs) (laughs) So, Aspazitos. So there you go. They were... They they would they would have also told me, can you please have him not bring his stuffed toys, and can you please stop having him bring home that, bring that drunk friend in? He's disrupting the class. Well, that's what they I do at work for you now. Yeah. So. yeah, but but actually, um, I, I like on the um inner sleeves of the albums with the records. Sometimes, like my brothers or my friends would point to an album and say that group's good, and that's how I would learn about groups like Led Zeppelin or Deep Purple before I even heard them I at least knew that they were a group that was going to be good so I had information like I heard about Grand Funk Railroad and you know stuff like that um, before I actually heard the group and um, like um, Blue Oyster Cult it, it was like about maybe 10 or 15 years before I actually heard their music, but I had heard of the group. And that's because of the inner sleeves of albums. Yeah, I, I, like I have Frampton Comes Alive, it tells you about all these other groups on their label. It's pretty cool. I have oh, yeah. all that. Yeah, I, I, I love vinyl. 
I'm getting back in. My, all my vinyls were stolen in the 90s, and I got I stopped collecting them. Then I went to CDs, and now I'm back to vinyl because they're coming out in droves, and they're even remastering them. But some of them you got to be aware of because they're remastering them from the digital and not the original masters. <laughs> so. Yep. So let's get into this album, Revolver. Uh, I got a book here, all the Beatles songs. It says on this album. Influenced by the sound of American records, the Beatles experimented in the studio extreme EQ tapes played backwards, voices channeled through a Leslie cabinet, artificial double tracking, uh, changes in tape speed, tape loops, etc. The innovations were endless and went beyond established recording norms. One big change was that they could finally record with headphones. I thought that was pretty cool. He says, we look at this today and now you can record an album on your computer and just send parts and people add parts to it instead of being in the same studio with each other now. So oh, I, wow. I found that's pretty cool. And let's get into the first track, uh, the George Harrison pen, Taxman. What do you think about this track? Uh, I'll go Lee first. Oh, um, that one, two, three, four, and then that that cool sound. Um, I, I first heard the sound when, I think when it first came out, or the American version, I was about one, and um, I I really enjoyed the album. I I, I liked that really cool guitar sound, and um, we um, I, I I remember listening to it when we moved to another uh, house a after I was one. So my memory of the years zero to six are kind of mixed. But I remember I used to listen to it downstairs in a room that was kind of dark that kind of reminded me of the back cover of the Beatles. And that, that song, I used to look at the back cover of the Beatles um, with their sunglasses while I would listen to the music. And, 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 and this, this song represented that kind of look, I thought. It was really a, it was really a good song. So what did you think about it, Ken? Well, Revolver is a classic for a reason, right? Yeah. I mean, there's th this 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 one definitely earns its placing, right? Amongst everything, all the great music that you've heard, this one really earns its Wheaties, right? It it, it earns its place. Uh, this is a fantastic album. Uh, one of my favorites, but not my favorite Beatle album, actually. I think my favorite Beatle album is probably um, the White Album. And the reason for that is because it, it seems like it's almost like four solo albums, but there's such a diversity in music on that album, right? And I think that a lot of that starts here. And I know that for you know a bunch of the times the Beatles used to think of recording an album as like okay we'll have eight songs that we've written and four oldies this is the first time that there's no real other artist represented on this album as far as them covering somebody else you know what I mean yep yeah uh, so I, th I think it's great I love I love 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 the album cover as an artist I, it just always intrigued me, right? And I have a quote from Paul McCartney, if it's okay to read. No problem. Mm -hmm. 
He said this album had taken longer than the others because normally we would go into the studio with, say, eight numbers of our own and some old numbers like Mr. Moonlight or some numbers that we used to know, and we'd do it up a bit. This time, we had all of our own numbers, including three of George's, and so we just had to work them all out. We haven't had such a basis to work from, just one guitar melody and a few chords, so we really had to work on them. I think it'll be our best album yet. They'll never be able to copy this. That was Paul McCartney from 1966. Wow. Hmm. Great album. It's a great song, too. <laughs> I, I, what I said, you, did you know that Paul played lead guitar on here, not George? Yeah, it's amazing when you think about it because, you know, we used to think that if it said bass on the album, then Paul's doing all the bass or Ringo or the drum, and it's not so. You know, it all they all would take turns. Taxman is a really good song, but I'm kind of limited limited in my love of it because it's about taxes, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. He's going but, off on the British Conservative Party at the time. Yeah, very much so. But uh, I love I love how it's almost a parody of it right mm -hmm. yeah it's very cool but yeah that's that's uh paul on lead guitar i'm glad you mentioned that a lot of people don't realize that i didn't realize that i have the book right here it told me that but i going through this book i see a lot of things that paul did and john did that you think george would be doing or even ringo would be doing but it was paul and john played a lot of different instruments on these albums and it's like wow <laughs> These guys are very talented. Even George said he, he went to Paul and asked him to help him with a lead because he couldn't get a certain chord going. Oh. Yeah. I think we talked about that on the White Album, Lee. Mm. Oh, okay, yeah. 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 Well, I think this song is a classic. George, it's one of my favorites with George singing. Uh, hey, have you guys ever heard the Rockwell's version of this song? <laughs> I haven't. Yeah, no. he, he's the one that's saying uh, "Everybody's watching me." It's on that album. Oh, I always I, feel I like somebody's watching. Me. He did a version him, of this song, but, but I I wouldn't have guessed. But that's intriguing enough for me to want to listen to it. Yeah, exactly. That's the first time I heard this song, so I didn't hear the Beatles version. I heard his version because oh. I was like a like a young kid at that time. But I, I, I respect that. That's actually very interesting. And then when I heard this, I go, that's Rockwell. And then I go, oh, wait, it's the Beatles. Oh. <laughs> I was a little tripped out, and I love the bass. I would have I would never thought of this as being Rockwell, but go on. Yeah, it's not as good as the Beatles. <laughs> but back then, I, li I liked that album because I was really into Michael Jackson at that time, and Michael Jackson was singing the background vocals on that. So that's what got me into Rockwell. But that album, I don't listen to it all anymore. It's boring to me i moved on <laughs> but my first record was Be beatles sergeant peppers and foreigner double vision so i've always been into the beatles in rock oh. and it uh for beatles fanatics in the book it says some people claim that taxman solo was the same one as in tomorrow never knows but edited backwards this simply is not true if you listen to this solo in reverse you will see <laughs> So some people were claiming at the solo. And then we get to the next track, the classic Eleanor Rigby. What do you think about this one, Ken? How do you talk about this song, right? Because whether you want to look at it as it being so groundbreaking 
because no pop band ever really stepped into this area, right? Yeah. It was one thing where, you, you know, you had a bit of the string quartet on like yesterday, right? Which was kind of shocking in a way. You used to have, like, maybe they'd bring in a big band to have, like, Sinatra or Bing Crosby or maybe Elvis even. But for what was traditionally thought of as a pop or rock band at the time, it was it was very unconventional, especially to, like, have all their players take a back seat. Like, there's no Beatles playing on this, this song, you know what I'm saying? It's just, hmm. boom, here it is. Well, that's not them playing. Yeah, exactly. So it was it was quite a departure in that sense, which, like I, I mentioned yesterday, it's kind of the same thing, right? It was yeah. that was a Paul solo track for all intents and purposes. Oh yeah. But um, you know, George Martin. Wow, this is what you get when you have someone like George Martin who can take the ideas that the Beatles had and make them real. And. Uh, whether he was successful in working with any other band or not, um, you, you thank God for George Martin when you hear some of the Beatles' best work like this. This is just amazing. Lyrically, just an amazing song. You kind of wonder how a, a person, like, I'm 50, going to be 56 coming up in May. Oh, and, okay. And I look at, like, Paul McCartney at this age, very young man. How in the hell does this come out of someone his age? Not only that, um, you know, he's a rich guy. He shouldn't be worried about what some old woman who's keeping a face in a jar by a door, right? So, yeah. And the song, I, I, I think the song kind of talks about the lonely people on the edges of things and and by that i mean like for example it, it's kind of talks about the church being impotent at this point because and we're now seeing this in a lot of ways like we've seen where a lot of churches are a lot of older people right mm -hmm. and not so much the young and uh this 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 song when they talk about eleanor rigby herself i almost get the feeling that her and the minister should have like hooked up, but they couldn't because society would have said it's not allowed. But there were two people oh, who yeah. were alone. <laughs> they were both alone every single night, and they should have had tea together every night instead. Hmm, cool. But people would have just think they wouldn't have been the lonely people. Yeah. If they just could have, and I'm not saying hook up in the like sexual sense. I'm talking no. about. It's just sad that because of religion or societal norms whatever they may be that we deny ourselves comfort and caring about someone right yeah but yeah it, it means so many things my stepson did a report on this for school and it just blew his mind because he would look at it on one level then he'd see it the next line and now there's another level and another level and by the time he was done his teacher was like just blown away by by what this 17 year old kid was able to pull from this song but I think sometimes young people see the world that we really can't yeah yeah when I was younger I saw the world differently I didn't think about all these politics and religion I just thought about hey man I want to have fun I want to do this I want to mm -hmm. I want to have comfort with my mom you know and 
be around my family or whatever family I had at that time. And I wanted to have friends. I didn't think about like what was going on in the world. I was just thinking about what was going on in my world. <laughs> I I still just think about what's going on in my world. <laughs> and it's like now we look at things as adults. We look at things as like, damn, I'm tired of looking at all these politics, these politicians, and I feel they don't care about us, you know. But, but you listen to music, you get away from that. You know, you feel yeah. comfort from the music you listen to. And I've always been attracted to music because it takes me away from the real world. And then when you have bands like in the 90s that came out that was putting the world world real world in your face it kind of like was depressing <laughs> yeah 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 i want to get out in the fantasy world but this song isn't fantasy this is about two people that that are lonely you know it's a great mm. song what did you think about it lee i actually find that this song for me is sort of like wallpaper i mean it's it's so like eating food that doesn't offend me but it doesn't really do anything for me it's i mean it's a iconic song and it's it's somewhat vivaldi-ish and i like vivaldi and i do like the connection there and i do like the baroque sound but i i i found that i like the song before it and the song after it more and this is sort of like just a bridge to me it seemed more like this is a song i hear in between the songs i like better kind of like taking a pause it it it, it it's not my favorite beatles song and it and, and it doesn't affect me like the best beatles songs in my opinion affect me but i mean i i respect it i just don't love it well what i thought about this song i go like Ken said about there's no Beatles on this song except vocals and it's like who would have thought a song with strings can rock I I feel this song rocks even with strings you know with drums no drums no lead guitar no freaking cool cool sh crap going on this song is just dominated by strings and it's freaking awesome I love it and I love how when I was listening to it on headphones I could hear that Paul when he sings all the lonely people comes in on both sides and then when he sings the regular lyrics his voice is more to the right and <clears> when he comes in on the chorus it's on both sides but i don't know if that was a cool effect or they made a mistake <laughs> I have it's no not idea. a mistake it was done on purpose it's trust done on me purpose I they wanted to make it in, when you think about it there's the the narrator and then there's this Greek chorus that is the chorus, right? Yeah. And oh, it's yeah. like the narrator tells this part of the story, and then the chorus is huge. Like, just imagine if you were watching a stage play where you saw, you know, Father Mackenzie wiping his hands and all that, and then a light would come on in the back, and you'd see an entire choir there, like, oh, look at all the lonely people, right? So yeah. Yeah. that's kind of what's going on. You've got you've got the narrator and then the Greek chorus. Hey. I, I thought that was awesome. I've never heard that on headphones before, I did, or I didn't notice it until I was look, uh, doing notes on it, and I go, that is freaking cool. <laughs> Get some really I'll good headphones, to, and you can actually... Because I yeah. had noticed it too, so you noticed some before I did. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um... Get some good headphones and you can hear their breathing. Oh yeah, I heard, I oh, okay. heard a lot about stuff. Like but, you'll hear this. <sighs> yeah. 
Well, it says... Uh, I think I have heard that a little bit. Yeah, I, I thought that was pretty interesting. It says some technical details of this album. Uh, Jeff Emmerich innovated by placing the mics close to the instruments in order to achieve the bite that Paul wanted, but musicians were furious because for them, such close recording was an abomination. Between each take, they kept breaking... That's backing their chairs away from the microphones, which forced Emmerich to move them closer. <laughs> I was like, oh. Oh. I thought that was pr pretty cool. <laughs> and then we get yeah. into the third track on the album, I'm Only Sleeping. What would you think about this one, Ken? It's a fantastic song and something that I really identify with. The older I get, I feel that I don't ever get enough sleep anymore. Yeah, same so. here. <laughs> I go to sleep for 10 hours and I feel like I need two more. <laughs> but then again, when we grew up, they'd, they'd have nap time. They should like let you have an hour's nap. You know, you should get to eat lunch and then have an hour's nap at school. I think it'd be like work. I, you know, at work, you should have an hour's nap. I think it would make us all happier in the long run but uh we'll see everyone get your mat come on it's time to lay down i think but, google uh, has nap pods <laughs> there you go yeah. absolutely um it's weird because this song was inspired from what i understand or have read um i'm only sleeping john lennon's most sophomoric contribution to revolver was inspired by paul mccartney's habit of having to wake him up in the afternoon songwriting sessions at John Lennon's house. The subject matter was close to Lennon's heart. His lack of routine while away from the rigors of the touring left him left him content to while away the hours at home in Weybridge, often under the influence of drugs. And it's interesting because he was talking to journalist Maureen Cleave on March 4th, 1966. Okay, this was printed then. Uh, Marine writes, he can sleep almost indefinitely. It is pr he is probably the laziest person in England. That's John said that about himself. Physically lazy, he said. I don't mind writing or reading or watching or speaking, but sex is the only physical thing I can be bothered with anymore. I guess that that will happen after you spend three or four years touring nonstop. And, you know, when you think about the Beatles, they did the movies right yeah. they did every tv show known to man in every major city in every major country and john wrote a book they wrote a bunch of songs continually they toured every nation that it was possible in at the time so you know it just kind of really sums up a lot of what was going on right and you mentioned at the beginning of this that they wanted to record revolver in america mm -hmm. i have a quote from uh, paul mccartney about that the beatles considered recording in america but they found emi unwilling to put up any money required to do so here's the quote we were going to record revolver in america but they wanted a fantastic amount of money to use the facilities there we thought that we'd forget it because we were obviously trying to take it because they were trying to take us for a ride because we were the Beatles. We'd been thinking about going to record there for some time, but when we finished Revolver, we realized that we had found a new British sound almost by accident. So, stepping away from the quote, they wanted to do something that felt more American, but as a result, they actually created their new sound, right? Yeah. 
he goes back on to say, I think there were only two tracks on the LP that would have sounded better if we would have cut them in America. Taxman and I've Got to Get You Into My Life because they need that raw quality that you just can't get in this country for some reason. So he's got to be thinking about stacks and Motown and that kind of a thing, right? Yeah. And then getting back to the thing, he said, uh, but for but Eleanor Rigby would have been much worse because the string players in America aren't so good. So take that, string players in America. Oh, okay. uh, uh-huh. At the time, he said, we may still record in America. What we might do, though, is write some numbers especially, take them over and do them and see how it works. Never happened. But uh, it's just amazing. The thing I love about the song, I'm Only Sleeping, and it's it's a really a goofy thing. It's Paul's counter melody where John's like singing keeping a line on and then Paul goes on a world going by my window like he like takes it and it's he's like singing to the beat bump dump 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 you know what I mean and uh, they uh, they added the background vocals later and but I just love when Paul does that counter melody kind of thing to it nice yeah, that's a really cool. What do you think about it, Lee? Well, first of all, I want to say that when I talked about the song after Elner Rigby on the original American version that I had, um, this this song wasn't on that. So even though I grew up with the album, I really w- didn't hear this song until much, much later. And I had known that this song was on revolver because i had the american version and and this is the english version but i have heard it and i um, read an interview with john lennon in playboy magazine and the interviewer david chef said that this was his favorite beatles song and so i was interested and unfortunately for me it's kind of like a filler song it it, it didn't it seems kind of like like it's a little bit I like weird music but this kind of seemed almost like as if it was like an exercise in trying to write something interesting and they kind of um had recorded it before they had gotten it down all pat but maybe I have to hear it more but but yeah this this song to me cuz I didn't grow up with it 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 seems out of place on the album and that's just just because I I grew up with the American version that didn't have this song on it. Well, like you know, I I I couldn't agree with you or disagree with you anymore. But uh, oh, seriously, okay. this song uh, to me, this is where, as I don't know how this is going to sound, but this is where Revolver starts getting weird to me. Like as as weird as the first two songs were, because the, again you put an album on you'd get she loves you yeah 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 right yeah this is not what you're getting from them you know this is a different thing now this isn't about like i'm in love oh i just met a girl we're hearing nothing about love songs the thing that make up standard pop music and you got to realize that um at this time there were kids who were now getting too I don't know how to say this, but the Beatles were no longer hitting the little kids so much. So, like, when they first hit, like, three years ago, right? Mm -hmm. 
they got these teenage girls and teenage boys, and they loved the Beatles. At, the Beatles were not this big, beloved thing that we know them as now, right? Whereas mm-hmm. everybody from the, the oldest rock critic in the world to the youngest person respects them. At this time, they were still a phenomenon, but they were, it was looking like the phenomenon was starting to evolve because, again, they were no longer singing, you know, I want to hold your hand, I'm in love with you, you're a really neat girl, let's go to the sock hop, let's fall in love, let's fall in love, let's fall in love. We've got Taxman. What 12-year-old girl in America is thinking, you know, I'm paying too much to, you know, support the Tory government. <laughs> it doesn't work. And then you get to side, track two, and it's like, this song's about dead people and old women, and it's depressing. It's dead depressing. <laughs> and there's a thing about the monkeys at the time were outselling both the Beatles and the Stone. The summer that uh, Sgt. Pepper came out, the number one album that year that was the number one album for almost the entire year up till the day that Sgt. Pepper's came out was the Monkees headquarters. Oh, yeah. And so if if you take a look at how it was possible for the Monkees to have sold so many albums and 45s, it's because you had Eleanor Rigby come out as a single. And as great as that song is and as much as it has become, you know, the gravitas behind it and what an epic change in the shift of music to a little kid buying that 45 with the spinning orange and yellow that we talked about, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's I can't dance to this. This isn't my idea of a good time. But they might be able to jam to Mary Mary or something by Paul Revere and the Raiders. So th- these these kids that were now either having to evolve with the Beatles or find new teens that they could dig, right? So there was a mm-hmm. phenomenon where people were finding their version of the Beatles. So they found the Monkees or they found the Love and Spoonful or whatever. Mm-hmm. But 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 if you take a look at the charts, at the time that Eleanor Rigby was a hit, it's just weird to see all the different music that was happening. Yellow Submarine was another single. And we'll get mm-hmm. to that later. But uh, you now have this song where... Not, not only do you have the music changing, but we're starting to see pictures of the Beatles with mustaches. So, like, if a girl, you know, their teen dream poster on their wall is Paul McCartney, and now he's got a mustache, it's like, uh-huh. I, uh-huh. you know, it's kind of like there's some girls that are were instantly into Han Solo, and some girls that were into Luke Skywalker, because Luke Skywalker is more innocent. It's just mm-hmm. like some people were into Sean Cassidy and some people were into Kiss, right? Because they're evil and this is nice. So the mm-hmm. same thing was happening. So things were happening in pop culture at the time. So you take a look. An- another element of I'm Only Sleeping is the backward guitar, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, it took 11 takes of the rhythm track were put on tape. John added his vocals two days later with the yawn and all that stuff but you've got the backward guitar solo they they played it rewinding it back but they they had it fed through the machine wrong and they're like what the hell's going on here this is great can we do this is this for real and george like yeah we can george martin was like yeah we can do this mm-hmm. and it blew their minds so they kind of uh put that on there and it was a great solo from george harrison but having it go backwards 
it makes you almost slip into that like when you're sleepy and things are out of sync a bit like we're mm -hmm. drifting into this other state this is an important part of the album because now from here on things are going to get trippier now you feel like you're on a trip whether it's induced by drugs or sleep or not enough sleep or whatever or too much sleep but we're now into another world and we're going to see it happen uh, unfold all right yeah I, I i will say one thing i will say i do like eleanor rigby better than this song <laughs> oh well and yeah that's but just me but Eleanor Rigby is like a stone-cold classic, right? It, it, it's like you asked me to pick my favorite songs off this album, right? And I said, yeah. well, if it's going to be like, well, Ken, you can discuss this song, and Ken, you can discuss that song. Everything that... I, I, I purposely picked songs that people probably wouldn't pick, right? Yeah. I actually was going to pick those songs. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, but, no, no. I'm, I'm saying you're, you're cool. But, like, Eleanor Rigby has like been talked about there's probably a book out there being written only about eleanor rigby right yeah it, it, there could be a book about that and wow. uh but nobody's doing that about like love you too right the next song but uh -huh. anyway so just a thought you know yeah i like yeah. pancakes <laughs> oh i i just said john john gets on there this is a wonderfully crafted song and i like the acoustic and like you were referring to this isn't the bubblegum rock of the beatles earlier stuff this is like really grown up <laughs> and uh i suggested that people like we talked about earlier listen to this album and hit on some really good headphones it's really trippy and in the book it says for beatles fanatics there are few glitches here at point 39 seconds paul played off key on bass at point 57 seconds in the beginning of the backing vocals seem to have been deleted at 201 someone yawned questioned paul with the rhythm track slowed down and the sound is deeper than in reality <laughs> so Wow, I'm going to now take those coordinates and listen to that. You should play. You should play the bits. Play the bits. Play, play the, the bits. bits. I'd have play to really bits. figure out how to do that. I'm not as advanced as you as editing. You and Ralph Vieira man, are awesome at editing. Well, you know, there's so many weird things uh, about the Beatles music. I don't know if you've ever heard that. There's an f bomb in Hey Jude. No, I didn't. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at uh, two minutes and fifty-eight seconds, right in. Uh, <laughs> from what I from what I understand, they were listening to playback and it was really loud. And somebody said, "Fucking hell!" <laughs> you want oh, me to try wow. to find it? You uh, want me to try to find? It? That'd be cool. <laughs> I'll I'll isolate it and you can play it right here. Okay. <laughs> You want to stop the recording and then... Yeah, yeah, we'll stop. I'll All pause right. it real quick. You stop it, but I'll find it and play it for you guys, okay? Okay, let me pause it real quick. Here we go. Mm -hmm. When we come back, we'll play Sorry. the fucking L. All right. Fucking L. 47 years ago this week, the Beatles released one of their most well-known singles. Hey Jude, don't make... Hey Jude was a first for a lot of reasons. In Britain and in the U.S., at over seven minutes long, it was the longest single to ever hit number one. It was also the first single to be released on the Beatles' very own label, Apple Records. 
but you might not have known that it was the first number one song to ever have hit an F-bomb. Now, let's be clear, it isn't part of the lyrics, and frankly, it isn't all that easy to hear, but I'll warn you, once you hear it, you can't unhear it. So let that be a fair warning. So where in the song can you find this hit an F-bomb? It comes just before the coda, which is really more like a second song in itself, that famous na-na-na section, which builds for the better part of four minutes, complete with a 36-piece orchestra scored by the legendary George Martin. So let's see if you can hear it. If you're listening on a mobile device or slow internet connection, the quality might not even be good enough for you to catch it. This will work better if you're wearing headphones too. Okay, so we're just before three minutes. Pay attention closely in the center channel. That is, you'll hear it coming from both speakers or earbuds in what feels to be in front of you. It's not the main vocal track, but rather a voice that's clearly seeping through one of the backing tracks. And I'll explain more behind the theories of who said it later on. So here it is, coming up at around 2 minutes and 58 seconds. Let's see if you catch it. It'll come right as Paul McCartney, who's singing the lead vocal, says the word begin. Let's take another listen. It's not terribly clear what he's saying but it's been confirmed over the years by the various recording engineers who were mixing the track that it's there. For whatever reason, they either didn't catch it during the final mix down or according to one account, they left it in on purpose as a kind of wink or a bit of civil disobedience perhaps. Although it's kind of hard to imagine nowadays, in the late 1960s, it was still extremely uncommon for popular musicians to use any sort of cursing in their music. So who actually said it? Well, we're pretty sure it was either John or Paul, since it seems pretty uncharacteristic of George to say it, and Ringo's drum set was probably not mic'd in such a way that you'd even pick up his voice were he to have said it. So it's either Paul or John. Interestingly enough, John Lennon actually thought it was Paul, who, according to John, had hit a wrong note in the piano. Others, such as Malcolm Toff, the recording engineer at Trident Studios, where the track was being recorded, claimed it was John, who apparently was startled by the volume being too loud in his headphones during an overdubbing of his harmony track. But I'm not sure, honestly. It really sounds like it could be either of them. It's there, and it'll always be there. And now you'll never unhear it. Who do you think it was? Hey Jude is one of the first Beatles tracks that I can vividly remember hearing for the first time. It was summer camp and one of my counselors had the Beatles anthology set on CD. I distinctly remember hearing Hey Jude every single day that summer. And it has remained one of my favorite tracks ever since. It's simple without being derivative. It has an incredible hook and there's nothing else quite like that coda. Most of all though, the song is incredibly hopeful. According to some accounts, Paul wrote it as a coded message of comfort to Julian Lennon, John Lennon's son, who at the time was going through his parents, John and Cynthia's divorce. John had met Yoko and would soon remarry to her and eventually have another son, Sean. But regardless of what Paul specifically had in mind when writing it, the song is just incredibly uplifting. Looking back at the world in which it was released is even more interesting. After all, this was the summer of 1968, the year both Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy had been assassinated. Vietnam was rapidly deteriorating. There were riots in D.C., Baltimore, elsewhere. And even more interesting, it debuted on the same day that the Democratic National Convention in Chicago opened, which either students of history or people who lived through will remember was violent and cataclysmic. Without being explicitly political, the Beatles struck a deep nerve in a world longing for some kind of hope. 
No wonder it spent nine weeks at the top of the U.S. music charts, more than any Beatles single had done. If you found this interesting, please subscribe and follow my new podcast series, You Can't Unhear This, where I'll be uncovering some of the most interesting anomalies in recorded music. Of course, there'll be a ton on the Beatles, since they have an incredibly interesting library and were one of the first popular groups to spend exorbitant amounts of time in the studio, leaving us tons of little surprises, mistakes, and other tidbits that have been closely examined over the years. So please subscribe and tune in again soon. That's pretty cool. Okay, that was interesting. We heard fucking hell by the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's get into the next song, which you picked, Lee, right? Love You yep. Too. So here's mm -hmm. Love You Too on the Freeform Rock Podcast. Love You Too. Why did you pick that track, Lee? This was, to me, psychedelic music back when I was two years old. I liked the 
the um well the sitar in the beginning is like the the ground rumbling before the strange flower comes up and then the strange flower comes up and i'm like yeah this ain't romper room this is weirdo dance time but i really dug it and um i liked the stuff um back then i didn't really hear what the words were they could have said dubba 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 the whole way through the album and it wouldn't have wait you mean it's not no 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 what what i mean is um, i i i i I wouldn't have um i wouldn't have um thought of it any differently if the words were dubba 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 all the way yeah but but now i'm confused because i think that weren't those the words dubba 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 now you're telling me this it's 2019. Oh. Didn't know all oh, this stuff. Okay. It's a okay. revelation when you listen to the Freeform podcast. You learn things. It's wow, educational. Boy, I mean, it's like I but just love the whole album. I, I love the whole album. Big dog. He said double, double, double. I thought oh. it was that the time. Oh. <laughs> hey, yep. Like we ought to collaborate on some, you know. And uh, anyway, the double, double song. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I just love the um, music. To the album, uh, well, the songs I liked and I liked Love You Too, I would dance to it, and um, now that I think about it, I would have liked like dubba dubba do 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 dubba 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 I'll have bagel and cream cheese now please put some ketchup on you know, that would have been cool, but anyway I I like that psychedelic sound i really like the album i mean i mean i like that song i'm starting to feel blah 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 thanks ken <laughs> that's okay so what'd you think about it ken i think it's one of george harrison's uh second tracks on the album right i mean it's weird we've got two george songs yeah so I think uh-huh. three. right <laughs> yeah. and we and we talk about how like this is not your like let's all go get a malted down at the sock hop and we're in love let's go to the dance Uh, she was just 17 Mm -hmm. we're now talking about love me while you can before i'm a dead old man huh (laughs) you know we're talking about uh philosophy here right i'll make love to you if you want me to so these are things that might scare away a 12 year old girl huh because this is not the kind of thing where it's like, well, they're not giving me what I want, right? And hopefully she's going to grow with them. But there were some people that just, this, this A, it was the sitar and fuzz guitar, right? And yeah. the tabla and all these things. <laughs> so it, was, it just had to be something that was very strange to the American ear, for sure. Yeah. But, oh, uh, yeah. And I, this is one of my favorite songs, and it's a bit of a dirge. You know, it just, it's just, it just goes. And I, I've heard some people say that this song is gibberish, but it's not gibberish. This is, to me, a great bit of philosophy sneaking its way into uh, pop. Right? Yeah, that was yeah. one of the dangerous things about the Beatles and the Monkees and the other bands is that they were opening us up to other philosophies and other ways of thinking just looking at something different right i mean you even look yeah. at the art in this it, it's just amazing the art on the album cover it, it's it's all of its mind expanding yeah but uh this this song could have been played with a a fiddle like an irish jig and riddle kind of thing right i would have liked to hear that 
<laughs> well, I'm sure somebody should do it, but cool. but instead of twisting, you know, looking at pop again, we're now doing this weird dance with bells and things and clickers and so oh, it's Oh yeah. It's just a bizarre trip, you know, at the time. See, there's a lot of times you want to tell people to strip what you know about an album and listen to it for the first time. Mm. If you've grown up always having this album, you don't know how weird this sounded to America in 1966, right? Yeah. Mm. You got to think about that. Like, when I think, I talk about the Cars album all the time, the first Cars album, the Cars. Mm -hmm. It came out, it sounded like aliens playing Buddy Holly music. It didn't sound like anything mm -hmm. that you were used to. But now you hear it on your classic rock station where, you know, whether it's the wolf or the eagle or the dog, you're listening to the dog or whatever your mascot, your uh, local classic rock station is. Uh -huh. You hear just what I need it and it's, it could be played right alongside Foreigner's hot-blooded and you think well that's just two cool songs but at the time that you know what i'm saying yeah. it sounded yeah. and it sounded weird and uh so even more so for this song america had never really heard much of that you know what i'm saying oh, yeah, yeah. So imagine you're like a 12-year-old, and the Beatles are all the rage, and you sit down, and you've sat through an album about a guy who doesn't get enough sleep, to <laughs> Eleanor Rigby, yeah. Sad Grave, and someone complaining about taxes, and this is the fourth song on the album? I'm surprised kids didn't return this and say, what, what happened to the Mop Tops? What happened to the Beatles, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> crazy right yeah. yeah but i love the lyrics i love the lyrics george had some great phrases some great turns of the phrases like uh there's one song that he wrote where it says carve your number on my wall and maybe you will get a call right mm. i put that in as cool as this is where it, but just imagine someone coming over to your house and carving their number by your phone <laughs> yeah, yeah pissed off but like that's the coolest thing that's ever happened on one level but yeah. that love me while you can before i'm a dead old man i see a lot of people people they they, they can't wait to shower someone with love but it's usually after they're dead or close to it you know i actually didn't know that that was the second part like before i'm a dead old man it i i some of the lyrics i wasn't able to imagine like it sound like Love me while you can in a demo, man. Hmm. Uh, but 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 I didn't know what. what I mean, it, it, it sounded like. I, I mean, I'll thank you because now I'll have to listen for that because it. I I I didn't. I I understood the aesthetics of the lyrics, but I didn't hear that line because it didn't. I didn't hear that. Well, it's also like the same thing that happens in Eleanor Rigby, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Love me while you can before I'm a dead, dead old man. A lifetime is so short, a new one can't be bought. Oh, yeah. It's the same message. Like, don't let, don't, don't not feel now. Don't not be now. Yeah. 
live. So it's it's really a call to love and life. Alexa. Oh yeah. MSNBC on cable. Okay. From our NBC News headquarters, That's a good. quick update on some breaking news before we get under. We're just letting life be. Let's take. Someone was doing something dangerous. Somebody was doing something dangerous. We were we were contemplating and thinking. That's another thing I love about uh, George Harrison in particular, like how he says his G's, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, like, like George will say, you know, I was thinking about, you know, that sort of thing. And it's like, it, <laughs> it's about a whole different thing than, than us Yanks. You know, we say, look at that thing over there. But George would say, look at that thingy or look at that thing over there. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> this is one of the few songs that uh, the sitar on the Beatles, especially um, George, when he sings, I, I actually like this song. This song is like mind-bending, and I think it's cool. And uh, you were talking about lyrics, how like we don't understand lyrics sometimes. You know, I've been listening to the song Barracuda by heart for years, and I just realized I don't know the lyrics of that song because we were, me and my fiancé were watching uh, this show called Umbrella Academy, and it's on... Uh, you know where they show you the words i forgot what it's called closed captioning yeah and they show you the words and then one lyrics it goes you're lying solo in the weeds you think you're gonna ambush me and i looked at my fiance did you know those lyrics were in there and she goes no and i go oh crap we suck (laughs) well i think that a lot of times we make up our own lyrics that's what she was saying we 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 made up our own lyrics she goes i made up my own lyrics to that part i go no i know now i want to go read every song i've been listening to for over 20 years now (laughs) Yeah, you absolutely have to. Like, uh, in the song She by the Monkees, there's uh-huh. a line that says, She devoured all my sweet love. Took yeah. all... Took, and, and, and Well, hold on. Here's the line. She, 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 she devoured all my sweet love, took all I had, and fed me dirt. Yeah. But a lot of people heard that as, She devoured all my sweet and low. <laughs> like she's a coffee fanatic and took all the sweet and low so that's what the whole song is about to some people if they mishear it that way right well i think yeah. i was more into the tone of Dan- of ann's voice and the guitar riff that i wasn't really paying attention to the lyrics and i'm really a lyric guy and i was like i was like going really i didn't know that song after all these years <laughs> well there when you think about it uh, sorry sorry oh, i was just gonna yeah. say there were a few songs on in different groups back in the in the days when I was listening to, to records where if the words went by fast I actually would stop the record a little bit and, and try and get the lyric and then write it down and sometimes I had to stop it about 10 times because I was like um, ain't no camel in my crud no that's not right what is it? Ain't no coffee in my cup. Okay. Kind of like that, you know? All right. But anyway, going. Yeah, and, and, and also, you know, John Lennon did not appear on this song. He, he loved Indian music, but he did not participate in recording this song at all. Hmm. Yeah, I was reading that right now, and it also said that George, these lyrics were based on Buddhist teachings about relationship of people and their surroundings. That's uh, a mm. pr- pretty cool song. So let's get to the next one, Here, There, and Everywhere. What would you think about this one, Ken? Well, this is the first love song on the album, right? Yep. So we're, you know, f- 
four songs in and it's the first time we've heard love in the sense of something positive right in, in the sense that uh like in you too uh, love love you too it's it's different he's saying love me while you can before i'm a dead old man here he's talking about being in a fulfilled beautiful relationship and it's not it's not a uh like for example a lot of love songs are like if you leave me i won't be able to live without you and it becomes like kind of stalker and weirdish but this is just a beautiful song about love and how it's not just in whenever that person's around but even when she's not there right yeah and it's it's a really good song i think that it gets uh overlooked by things like yesterday and things like that but to me this is just fantastic and you know we mentioned the third song i'm only sleeping this song here there and everywhere it was written alongside john lennon's swimming pool in waybridge while paul mccartney waited for john lennon to wake up Hmm. He says, I sat out by the pool on one of the sun chairs with my guitar and started strumming an E and soon had a few chords. And I think by the time he'd woken up, I'd pretty much written the song. So we took it indoors and finished it up. So <laughs> John later said that it's Paul's songs completely, I believe, and one of my favorites of the Beatles. So it's one of his favorite Beatles songs. Hmm. So that's pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What did you think about it, Lee? Um... I think the title here, there, and everywhere is an awesome title, and I think the song itself is really good. I don't particularly care for the way they do it, only because it sounds like it. It, I, I, I think that I would have liked it if it had been done more in the style of Wings and their song "My Love" or something. For some reason, I think it would benefit from a more full um sound like like it sounds like they're rehearsing but with that being said i i i do like the song the the actual song itself and i think that it's it is good it's just that i think it needed maybe a little tiny bit more of an instrumentation to it i think it's a little sparse and 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 so for me it comes off as not one of the best tunes have you checked out the background vocals um yeah well you just said um and that's exactly what it is instead huh. of them like doing something if you listen you know you talk about being sparse and i think one of the reasons is is it's featuring the background vocals oh it, okay it actually fills things out and then paul uh, he kind of tried to sing like Marianne Faithful when he doubled himself. So you've got like the Paul oh, song, okay. and then over oh, top okay. of it, there's Paul singing in a falsetto higher register, right? Yeah. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, check that out. It's 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 okay. almost like when you hear horn section, and the one horn's doing something over top the other. It's very similar in that. Oh yeah. Sets. Oh. I think this is a very beautifully written song, and I wish uh, lyricists today, there's some that could do it. I wish they would write like this. It's very, it just takes you to another place. You know, I, I love this song. It's a really cool song. It's transcendent, man. Yeah. It's groovy. And then it says, for Beatles <laughs> fanatics, the finger snapping sounded too fast, just like Paul's voice, starting at 156. Besides, mm -hmm. there's one beat missing at 159. Yep. Hmm pretty cool you could see you see mistakes people like to like clear mistakes out of albums but mistakes 
make it real. <laughs> I like mistakes. Well, I have a theory about that. Because we do a lot of recording with like Pro Tools and all this sort of, you know, robots. You know, we, we either have a drum machine or if, if we if we do get a drummer, a guitar player, we cut out things like this. <sighs> Did you hear that? Like yeah. when I actually yeah. talk, like there's a lot of podcasters will do this same thing when they're editing. If someone goes, <gasps> I think this happened and blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, But see, that's what humans do because we are infallible. We're we're the instrument in this case, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it'd be like if you pick up a guitar and you hear someone pick the guitar up and slap the the strap across their back, you know, we cut all that stuff out. And now, like, do me a favor. Like, I could teach a class on this, but listen sometime to I Feel Good by James Brown. Mm-hmm. You hear James Brown when he goes, when I hold you, you know what I mean? He, You can actually hear him go, on the song, if that were done today, they'd cut that out. And you hear the the decay of the drums bouncing off of the uh, tile in the room. But you oh. actually, and the drummer isn't always perfect because he's speeding up and slowing down because he's got this thing called a heartbeat, and he's oh. human. But he's right in the pocket. But it's it it gets off a little bit if you were to sit down and go boom boom boom. Now they'd go in and say up. Oh, We'll have you do it once, and we'll copy and paste it. Oh. That's that's what's wrong with a lot of music. Yeah. yeah I like to so. hear the mistakes. I don't like overpolished music. Well, see, I don't think of it as mistakes sometimes. I think that it's just we're human beings making human sounds, right? Yeah. yeah. True. And then we get into the next track, Yellow Submarine. What do you think about this one, Ken? Well, again... This is a weird song. We now hear Yellow Submarine as like this classic song. Families can sing along with it from Grandpa down to Little Jimmy, right? Yeah. But imagine like your favorite band. I don't care who your favorite band. I don't care if it's Aerosmith or Kiss, Van Halen. Imagine Van Halen putting out Yellow Submarine. (laughs) Ha! That'd be funny. But Dave could have fun with it, but their fans would be going, what the fuck is this, right? The closest we can pick is like Big Bad Will is Sweet William now, right? You can get away with things Mm -hmm. like that. But just imagine like Aerosmith doing this and not having a yellow sub. Let's imagine a brand new band that you love, that you loved growing up. I don't care if it was, you know, Van Halen, whoever, the Cars, whatever. And they said, we're going to do this song about a yellow submarine. And it makes zero sense. It just mm. it really makes zero sense. But you know that now that there's been a movie about it and it's become a staple and people sing it every year at something. You know, it's it's beautiful. But it's it's great. It's a fun track. It was released as a double-sided single. So remember when I talk about the monkeys outselling the Beatles yep. at the time? These two songs were like in the top twenty at that point. So while you had the monkeys on TV gaining all those new fans, here's the the Beatles single, Eleanor Rigby and Yellow Submarine. Hmm. Would yeah. you have picked those two songs to be like, hey, here's the, our fun new track, Yellow, uh, Eleanor Rigby. And here's uh-huh. our serious rock and roll song, Yellow Submarine. Huh. Think about it. it it's just, it's kind of bizarre. Like, you can see where, like, a 
if they would have released like a day tripper kind of a track you know what i mean mm-hmm. something like okay here we are we're the beatles yay but now we've got paul mccartney alone with the beatles on backing vocals doing eleanor rigby mm-hmm. and you've got yellow submarine all the beatles being goofy and sound effects and <laughs> goofiness and propellers and weird sounds and fog horns and yet it all seems to work but uh huh. just again don't listen to this as you've heard it growing up all your life go back and listen to it and think this is the first time i've ever heard this on this album and it's kind of mind-blowing mm-hmm. reset the table yeah what do you think about it, Lee? Well, I when I listened to stuff back then, I listened because it was mind-blowing. I was the guy who brought the Napoleon um, 14th album to come to take me away. And I, played, and, and I played, I live in a split-level head, and I danced in class, and everyone thought I was weird. So I'm the guy who was the nutty one. I'm the guy who would have been, ah, hey, well, well, well. So, but but anyway, I know what you're saying. Yeah, and and it's cool to listen again. But the only reason I didn't pick this song as being one of my tracks is because I could only pick two songs, and I figured everyone knows it. But I love this song, and and I would have picked this song if I was able to pick all the songs, because I um, even did a version of this with my sister, and I'm not a good singer. Um, she could sing well, but um, on my sixth birthday, when I got her tape recorder, the first thing we did was Yellow Submarine, and and I and I used to play this at school. This to me was sort of like, um, other than the monkeys, um, this this song was like my childhood, and um, I, I I think it's um, great, and and I think it's one of the Best song song. Whoa, I mean, I mean, it doesn't sound like any other song on the album, but I, it's one of the best songs on the album. I still think. Yeah, this song has a burnout factor for me, but it's weird because I still, <laughs> I won't skip it. It'll play and I'll start singing along to it, but I am burned out of it because I love this song. I used to have the Yellow Submarine soundtrack. Used to have the movie on DVD. I love this. I love the animation, even though they didn't do the voices till the end. They talked at the end. But I, mm-hmm. I, I love this song, and I, I just found an interesting fact that Donovan wrote the helped with the lyrics. He wrote "Sky of Blue, Sea of Green" in our Yellow Submarine, <laughs> and yeah. it says Ringo we- also parti- participated with a slip of the tongue. Instead of saying "Every one of us has all he needs," he sang "Every one of us has all we need." The error was immediately accepted. I thought that was pretty oh. cool. And there's a replica of the Yellow Submarine at the Liverpool uh, John Lennon Airport. <laughs> huh. So that was cool. pretty cool. So let's get into the next song, which Ken picked, right? She said, she said. Yeah, All great right. track. All great right. track. Uh, love this. It, uh, it's got some more trippy psychedelia stuff going on with the drums the drums are absolutely amazing Ringo is so damn good and he doesn't get the credit that he should and from what I understand Paul's not on this track uh, it says bass question mark so maybe not <laughs> yeah 
They don't know. But uh, the final track recorded for Revolver, she said she said it was inspired by an LSD-influenced conversation between John Lennon and actor Peter Fonda. You know. Oh, and, I was uh, going to mention that, but oh, Fonda well, go ahead. Never, no, go no, ahead. no, no, go, go, go for it. I'm, I'm, I'm never the one to talk first. So no, no, you, 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 you need to have the credit because I always take credit for everything else. So <laughs> no, ahead. man, I want, I want you to tell the story. I just want to talk about my, my thoughts on it. Right. Okay, Again. Uh, no, on, no, you're 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 a teenager, and you bought like Help, and you bought Hard Day's Night, and now you're hearing this song again. Just imagine the first time you hear Revolver. Sergeant Pepper, for the longest time, got all the credit as being this groundbreaking thing, but the ground was cracked right here on Revolver, right? Yeah. So this is where this sets up Sergeant Pepper. The fact that they took these steps going down these roads so it's really good and uh, I picked this song as one of my favorites that because it's just it's one of the ones that's kind of overlooked right and I swear I've had this same conversation with people like no 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 you don't understand what I'm trying to say when I was a boy everything mm. was fine <laughs> because I was innocent and He's trying to explain to him, you know, I know what it's like to be dead. I know what it is to feel sad. Mm. But you're making me feel like I've never been born. Mm. So what do you think that says about Peter Fonda and his conversation? Yeah. No oh, idea. well, um, I was going to say that um, I had heard about, because I had read the Playboy interview with John Lennon, and he had talked about that conversation with Peter Fonda, and he said that Peter Fonda was saying, I know what it's like to be dead, and John was thinking, "Stop it! Don't don't talk to me about that. I don't want to know what it's like to be dead." Be quiet. But he thought it was so weird that he put it in the song. Yeah, that's cool. But anyway, I I um um if you hadn't have picked the song, and I was able to pick twenty songs, even though there aren't twenty on here, I would have picked this one. <laughs> Because it's one of my favorites, and I and and I love it, and I love the drum sound, and everything that you said about about the song, I um, would say ditto because I I I really love it, and it's one of the reasons why this is probably one of my favorite albums, is because the songs that are really great on here really are the songs that I grew up hearing. And they're still fresh, and does the sound like the loudness of the guitar and all that? It's still cool to this day. And yeah, this is to me. Um, some people say "Ticket to Ride" is considered to be one of the first heavy songs. To me, this is one of the really first powerful kind of heavy songs that, to me, resonated with me, and I I really dig it. Yeah, what I was going to say, y'all picked up on uh, Ringo's drumming. I s thought the same thing. I said, Ringo's drumming, so good on this. Simple, but not so simple. He's so in the pocket, and I love John's tone on this song. And Paul's, well, we don't know Paul's playing bass on this song, but I thought the bass sounded really good. But Ringo is a phenomenal drummer. I don't think he gets the credit, that, like Ken said. He doesn't get enough credit. But a lot of yeah. the bands that we love, like Led Zeppelin and all these great drummers were inspired by Ringo and nobody talks about that. <laughs> wow. 
Even uh, the Black Sabbath drummer was inspired by Ringo. The Beatles, Ozzy was inspired by the Beatles, you know. All these, like, metal, hard rock bands yeah. were inspired by the Beatles. <laughs> so let's get into this track. Cool. She Said, She Said on the Freeform Rock Podcast. <laughs> was she said she said and we've already discussed that song so let's get to the next one which is good day sunshine which you pick lee so let's play that real quick and we'll come back and talk about it so here's good day sunshine on the freeform rock podcast to laugh and when the sun is out I've got something I can laugh about I feel good in a special way I'm in love and it's a sunny day Good day sunshine Good day sunshine Good day sunshine We 
take a walk The sun is shining down Burns my feet as they touch the ground Good day sunshine Good day sunshine Good day sunshine Then we lie beneath the shady tree She knows she's looking fine I'm so proud to know that she is mine Good day sunshine 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 Yeah, that was Good Day Sunshine. Why'd you pick that track, Lee? Well, this is sort of a tip of the hat to a friend of mine who was kind of an English guy in high school. He was really cool, and he um, kind of looked like he could have been in a group, and I just thought he was cool, and he told me that Good Day Sunshine was probably one of the best pop songs ever made. And even though I might not 100% consider it to be the best over anything else i'll just say it's a really good song that i could imagine it being a theme to a tv show good day sunshine with someone with the umbrella and skipping down the street it's a happy song and i i sometimes have to be in the mood um in order to really appreciate it fully but i think that um the way it's done it's kind of to me unlike any other Beatles song in its really bouncy good um, vibe like it has a vibe that's all its own that that I really dig and I and and it's one of the few like really happy songs that I can um, really dig what'd you think about it Ken <sighs> about good day sunshine yeah my God, what a great song. Um, when you think about, like, uh, Chicago, the band, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, this yeah. Is, this is like a template for them. I, I, oh, I, yeah. I've, like, I've never heard Chicago say, like, wow, when we heard this song, that that's when we knew we could, like, go into pop and rock, you know. I'm not saying that this is it, but, like, here's a, a lead to it, right? Oh, I could uh, hear that, yeah. Yeah, you could hear Saturday in the Park could be played right after Good Day Sunshine, right? Yeah. Oh, that yeah, that's a good idea. And uh, it just shows how 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 Chicago could be, and Chicago ha is their own thing on their own, right? I'm just saying that, like, you could see where it came from, and all good music comes from something else, right? Nothing happens in a vacuum. Uh, when you think about it, Paul McCartney said about another song that this song was kind of based on. Uh, he says that the song was a nod to the Love and Spoonfuls daydream. You know that one, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
and he says the same traditional, almost trad, tr- tr- traditional jazz fill. That was our favorite record of theirs. Good Day Sunshine was me trying to write something similar to Daydream. John and I wrote it together at Kenwood, but it was basically mine, and he helped me with it. That's from the book Many Years From Now by Miles by Barry Miles. That's cool. But you could, it's amazing because that became, you know, Daydream. What a day for a daydream. I can hear it now that it's mentioned. Yeah, I, I didn't know that before, but, I mean, now that you mention it, I can I can see it. Yeah, so uh, wow. it's really cool, and uh, just the the claps that are uh, kind of just a little bit off. Like again, we were talking about real humans making real sounds, right? Yeah. Sometimes the clap isn't exactly one hundred percent on the beat, but if it were click track, it would just all be that. Um, I've heard some people say, uh, you know, when John says. Uh, so, some people have said that it's Ringo saying she fucking does at uh. 125. Mm. I think it says you know she does. I don't know. But it uh, there's a bit where, like, she feels good. It sounds like there's something going on, you know, like, she feels good. Da-da-da-da. You know she's looking fine. So mm. you can just hear the smile on Paul's face when, you know, you know she's looking fine. But yeah. it was them just having a bit of a laugh. I don't know exactly what said, but there's a voice you can hear something in there. Again, real yeah. humans making real music for real people. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I love this song. And it says George Martin played piano on this one. So that's pretty oh, cool. Oh, wow. And it that's says cool. Paul McCartney played piano, but question mark. Um John, huh. question mark, and rhythm guitar. But they all did the hand claps, except for Ringo. He just played the drums. But mm. uh, this is a pretty cool track. It's a positive song. Simple song with powerful lyrics. I love the piano, and I love pa- Paul's voice. Paul is my favorite Beatle, by the way. John is my second. <laughs> Ringo's my last, but I-, I love them all. They all rule. <laughs> As a drummer, uh, Ringo's one of my favorites of all time, but great song and then we get into the next track and your bird can sing what do you think about this ken and your bird can sing good god this is one of my favorite tracks of all time uh just the guitar if nothing else right it's just so amazing it's we were talking earlier about uh heart and how ann wilson's voice it's like you almost heard it like a, a guitar solo right mm-hmm. and when something's really good you don't have to think right but that fantastic uh, ascending and descending guitar solo, da 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 da, and it just keeps going, and it just comes to that deliberate bit of an end. It's so fantastic. Uh, one of my favorite tracks. Uh, I have felt this way about so many people that you you know you can't catch me. You can you can you can imitate everything I do, but you'll never actually get me. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've heard uh, that Lennon meant, thought that the Stones were copying them, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. And uh, I, there's been some mention that Marianne Faithful might have been the bird. So I'll <laughs> let people figure out what they want to about that, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's a slang term for girlfriend or whore. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but it also says that that John was most likely in the middle of a psychedelic delirium when he wrote it. <laughs> mm. uh, it's pretty cool. 
So what did you think about it, Lee? Now, um, since this was on the English version, uh, this song is one of the rarer songs that I maybe only heard a couple of times just so that I could say I've heard it. But I, I don't remember totally disliking it, but I don't remember having too much of an impression on it because I hadn't heard it enough and... So I'll, I'll just say from what I remember, it seems interesting, but it didn't leave enough of an impression on me to get into more detail about how it sounded. Cool. I, I like this song. I think it's cool. It's a toe tapper. Love the guitar tone and the song rules. <laughs> I just love it. And then we get to the next track, which is, I picked a song on her. I picked For no, no One, since none of you guys picked it. So here's For No One on the Freeform Rock Podcast. Your day breaks, your mind aches. You find that all her words of kindness linger on when she no longer needs you. She wakes up, she makes up. She takes her time and doesn't feel she has to hurry She no longer needs you And in her eyes you see nothing No sign of love behind the tears Cried for no one A love that should have lasted years You want her, you need her and yet you don't believe her when she says her love is dead You think she needs you And in her eyes you see nothing No sign of love behind the tears Cried for no one a love that should have lasted years You stay home, she goes out She says that long ago she knew someone But now he's gone, she doesn't need him Your day breaks, your mind aches There will be times when all the things she said Will fill your head, you won't forget her and in her eyes you see nothing No sign of love behind the tears Cried for no one A love that should have lasted years Okay, that was For No One. What did you think about that song, Ken? Uh, fantastic song. Again, another one that gets overlooked because of yesterday, right? Yeah. Like if if any other band had put this out, it would have been like, wow, that one song for no one. But because of yesterday, it's like no one ever gets to this. You know, it's when it's time to gush over the Beatles, right? Yeah. Uh, but again, it's another song where you don't have a lot of involvement from all of the Beatles. You've got Ringo on drums, tambourine, and maracas. And you've got Paul on uh, piano, clavichord, bass, and vocals. And Alan Civil on horn. So it said that it was written in March of 66 while Paul McCartney was on holiday with Jane Asher in Switzerland. Boy, what a fucking fun holiday that must have been, right? It's a song yeah. about a woman that doesn't care about you or think <laughs> about you anymore. 
What yeah. a great fucking holiday that must have been. Yeah, it says, <laughs> I, I, it says it was you know, di- his disillusion <laughs> with the relationship. Yeah. yeah. So in, in her eyes, you see nothing. No sign of love behind the tears cried for no one. A love that should have lasted years. Hmm. And uh, the character in the song is a girl putting on her makeup and not caring. Hmm. Um, ouch. Ouch. <laughs> so would don't you th- desert me. Ouch. <laughs> Please don't hurt me. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> ouch. Ouch. That's the Ruddles. So what'd you huh. think about it, Lee? Um, I, I dig it. I actually play it on piano, or I did sometimes, and I like my version of it. And it's a fun song to play, and it is a good song. It's not my very favorite, but it's, it's, it's one of those that's interesting enough where sometimes... I'm in the mood just to hear it, and so I, I'd say it's 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 a pretty good song. I just hope that one day um, I get to play it um, in Paul McCartney's band. Yeah, uh, there was only two Beatles on this song: Paul and Ringo. No George or John. They didn't participate in recording this song. And I like this song, and Alan Civil supplied a different story about the recording of the solo. It was rather difficult to understand what they wanted, so I played something in a medium register and rather barlacue or solo. I can't say that word. Suck. (laughs) But uh, it's interesting that they weren't on this song. It was just Paul and Ringo, and Paul played the vocal, piano, (coughs) bass, clavichord, and uh, drums, Ringo, tambourine, maracas. And then we get to the next track, Dr. Robert. What'd you think about this one, Lee? Dr. Robert, da, 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 da. Dr. Robert, da, 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 da. Do that for about five minutes, and that's what I think. <laughs> I, I, I really don't care for it. It's like, it, it, it's just like, it, it, it reminds me of a, a song that I wrote when I was six, maybe, but I did a better job. It's just. It, it, it sounded like that they just kept repeating it because they were trying to get it done right, and and they were just rehearsing the chorus. And it it's the most throwaway song the Beatles ever did. That's all that I can say. Really? <laughs> wow. What did you think but about it? Well, I think well, about it a lot more than our esteemed colleague here across Please the way. Please just um, um, white out my voice and say whatever you want. We, want <laughs> we, 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 we don't want people angry at us. No, 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 no. no, no. So um, you're, you're the one who will give us ratings, so please tell us. <laughs> the, the song is a bit of foolishness, right? There's a couple things going on. Uh, one, the guy is going to give him acid, which goes oh. back to Yellow Submarine. You know, okay. they, this, you know, Dr. Robert... My friend works for the National Health. You'll pay money just to see yourself with Dr. Roberts. Mm. And the thing is, is we are now that way with rock stars, right? The meet and greet is more important than the record. Mm. You'll pay money just to see yourself with the band. It doesn't matter whether you like the music or not. Mm. It doesn't matter whether you enjoyed the concert or not. Mm. You just... uh, that's just uh, you know, it's we've we've gotten to a point. I remember Steven Tyler said one time in an interview, "Glad I've got these bones because you can't download my bones." <laughs> oh, you know, if, if, like, yeah. like if you want to come see me, you gotta pay to come see me because we're not getting paid by the music industry anymore. Yeah. So that's why we have the meet and greet, and we are now to a point 
where uh, it's more important to get that selfie. Have you noticed people will go to a concert? I'm not against cell phones at a concert, okay? Mm-hmm. But you see people, they'll get down front and they'll turn around and go click. Mm-hmm. You know, they see the band in the background and that's that's what it's really all about, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or people bringing their iPads out and blocking your view. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's what I I get up. I record like about two minutes of a song, and then I put it down and watch the rest of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be funny if um, I I had just as an experiment go to a concert, and then just instead of recording the band, I just look at the person who's next to me recording the concert, and I film them, <laughs> and just just see how long it takes for them to see it, and then when I put it up, I put. Um, like, like if his name is Joe, I'll put Joe at Kiss concert, and then I'll say, "What, what, what concert are you going to next?" And then say, "Why?" And say, "Cause I want to film you for my next YouTube video." <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I, I like this song. I have Ringo's in the pocket. I think it's a cool rocker, and um, I just like. I, I don't know why people could say they like the Stones over the Beatles, but it's all an opinion, like we talked about earlier. I think right. I like the Stones, but I like the Beatles better. And there's a lot of people out there that I've talked to that don't even care for the Beatles, and I they're like people I don't trust. <laughs> and they're usually huh. weird people. Uh, also, so I've well, the Beatles were my very quote. first group. Huh? My favorite group. I was just gonna say my my Beatles were my very first favorite group. Anyway, Me too. Go on. You know, sometimes I'll make up fake quotes. Like nobody said it, but I'll say that like, never trust anyone that doesn't like the Beatles. Ken Mills, right? Like I, I, yeah. I like frame it and make it sound like something you could see hanging on someone's walls, and it's really That's just cool. a bunch of gibberish right that on. I've, you know. That's it's cool. like, here's another one. You might want to question your life when you get thrown out of a monkeys group. Like, what's going on with you? <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. What you couldn't talk about Daydream Believer? What what the hell's wrong with you? you know? <laughs> You got you got in a fight over the monkeys. What the fuck's wrong with you? That's wow. the same thing. Like if like if you're getting in a fight with uh, over Tesla, what the fuck's wrong with you? You know. I know. <laughs> or the Bee Gees or Kiss or James yeah. Blunt or anything. Well, I was know? actually trying not to fight with them, but they kept like tagging me like on some of your posts that I get keep tagging on, but I don't stop because I want to answer the question. <laughs> it's like yeah. oh, I got to get out of here. I, so, so I had to leave the group. Are not meant to be known. The answers. Of- I know, but people like. What do you um, think about this, Mark? What do you think about this, Mark? And I go, oh, God. I don't want to be uh, a jerk and not answer it, you know? <laughs> but sometimes I think opinion, I should just stop. I've stopped. I've learned how to stop. So I, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I like this song. I think it's really cool. And there's like for Beatles addicts, it says, Where the Beatles described the uppers prescribed by the good Dr. Robert, the Rolling Stones preferred barbiturates in early July released Mother's Little Helper. <laughs> well, when which, you think about which it, which I love, I love that song. Much yeah, I do more too. Anyway, that, cool. Well, yeah, you've got the nineteenth nervous breakdowns and Mother's Little Helper, and you've got Doctor Roberts, and you know your bird can sing, but she can't catch me. She'll never be me. So, uh, I think the Beatles were kind of tit for tatting here. Yeah, oh, yeah. And it, while Doctor Robert may not be a great song lyrically, the song kicks ass if you listen to it. You know, it like does. just imagine seeing the Beatles playing that live. It would have been fucking great, right? Yeah. Uh, like you get a really great 
Beatles tribute band like the Fantastic, the Fab Four, my personal favorite Beatles tribute band. It, you know, endorsed by the Ken Mills, so that you know they must be good. But cool. um, when they do it, it kicks ass. But it, again, it's it's a great rock song about absolutely nothing. So I dig. I agree with, with half of that. Yeah, like 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 I, you know where you say it it's it's just blah 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 and music but yeah you know it, it's a great rock song about nothing if you it could be an instrumental and i'd be all the fuck over it so you know all right let's get into mm-hmm. the next track i want to tell you what do you think about this one lee oh i like this one this one to me even though george harrison wrote it i always kind of think of it as sounding like a lennon and mccartney tune and so, to me, that's that's meant as a compliment. It to me, it's it's one of the few George Harrison songs that I consider to be one of the classic songs in the same league with Lennon and McCartney. Because even though I like a lot of George Harrison songs, there's usually a separation for me. Like this is either a Lennon and McCartney song or a George Harrison song. This song transcended that and just became a good Beatles song so I like this and um, I've heard other people do it and I don't think that they've ever been able to do it as good as the Beatles there's something about the Beatles doing it that's just the best it's like as if one specific McDonald's restaurant does the exact recipe that the McDonald brothers had for their burgers and all the rest are just trying to do an imitation kind of like that so i i like this a lot what'd you think about it ken well i think about a lot of things right um but uh, what to tell you is great uh again another song from george harrison i think he's really on a roll on this album right yeah and i've heard it that he later said that the song was about an avalanche of thoughts that are hard to write down or say or transmit and if you think about that first part it sounds like someone stuttering almost musically brum, yeah. brum, 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 brum. like I'm stuck in yeah. this mode I can't quite get it out and then bring I want to tell you, you know? I love that so it goes it almost has like this stammer this musical stammer that breaks out into and then it becomes transcendent where paul but i don't know why which should be a horn part mm-hmm. hear that as a yeah. horn. yeah so it's almost like what is on good day sunshine just imagine this as like george's good day sunshine in a way right mm-hmm. yeah actually th- yeah Right on. Yeah. Yeah. I would, what I thought about this song, it says, I love the way the Beatles have that piano tone that no one else has. It's so yeah. distinctive, and I love this song. And also, it says, uh, I want to tell you, it was George's third song on Re- Revolver. It was the first and last time he placed so many songs on a single album. The White Album, in parentheses, includes four. It's usually two per record. Even if John, Paul, or George Martin did not consider him as an equal, he gradually asserted himself. Hmm. So is this a happy song or a sad song in your mind? Uh, it's in the middle <laughs> to me. It sounds mm. happy, but the lyrics are more a lot deeper than what Can it I, sounds like. Is, is I it think a, is, it's more like, I want to tell you, but I haven't told you yet. Like that. 
Well, like we talked about, love me while you can before I'm a dead old man. Can I read the lyrics to this song? Sure. Sure. I want to tell you my head is filled with things to say. When you're here, all those words, they seem to slip away. When I get near you, the games begin to drag me down. It's all right. I'll make you maybe next time around. But if I seem to act unkind, it's only me, it's not my mind, that is confusing things. I want to tell you, I feel hung up and I don't know why. I don't mind. I could wait forever. I've got time. Sometimes I wish I knew you well, then I could speak my mind and tell. Maybe you'd understand. I want to tell you, I feel hung up and I don't know why. I don't mind. I could wait forever. I've got time. I've got time. I've got time. Now, juxtapose that against Love You Too with, like, this is it. This is the time to live. This is someone thinking, I've got all the time in the world to try to make you understand what's going on inside of me. Hmm. But as we know, we don't always have that, right? So those two yeah. songs juxtaposed against one, and that's a big word like gymnasium to quote Gene Simmons. But yeah. <laughs> um, it's uh, just just fantastic. Great, great so, stuff. So I would say um, it it doesn't, after you read the words, it doesn't seem quite as happy. It seems, it seems like he's kind of confused. And it reminds me of um, just the Neil Young song, word-wise, I Believe in You. Mm-hmm. He talks about now that you've found yourself losing your mind, are you here again? Um, and then I don't remember exactly, but like knowing something that was real is gone and changing. And um, on the liner notes of Decade, when he talked about the songs, he said that he didn't want to talk about that one. But now that I think about it, I think he's um, talking. This is just a Neil Young song. Like he's um, talking about himself, talking about going through some in which he might have been really freaked out. And he's now getting down off of it and he's coming to terms with it kind of like that so you never know maybe george harrison was always um talking maybe he was um, talking about himself maybe there was some silver trip that he had and he was just trying to um come to terms with it who knows yeah did you know there was a 1979 version of the song by ted nugent yeah i never heard it i now i want to go hear it Says Ted Nugent did a superb remake of this song, which tends to show that with more arrangements and more work, George's song could have been much better. It's on the album State of Shock, and I would so, and 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 I would just recommend you hear the whole album if if oh, you want. I have it. I just don't think I've heard. Oh. It. I'm, I'm for, more into Free for All and uh, Cat Scratch Fever and the live album, so I probably haven't. So got you to probably that one got more albums than you've heard. That yes. sounds kind of like me. Yeah, it does. Well, that's like those, you know, I've got time, right? You think you've got time. You've bought albums and movies you'll never watch. You yeah. think you've got time, don't so you? So true. i got thousands of CDs I probably haven't heard, like half of them. And I'm sorry, Uncle Ted never made anything better. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into the and that, and that's and that's just because I love George's version. So, yeah, I, you know, I haven't heard yet. I love the thing of it is, is it's true. I I agree with you. I don't love Ted's version. I like the album basically better than that one song. The Beals did it the best. 
I think that Ted was maybe just trying to fill up space and he wasn't able to do as good of a job as George. On the other hand, I've never heard the Beatles do a cover of Stranglehold, so <laughs> for that eventuality, right, you know? I'm awesome. glad I haven't. I'm, I'm kind of glad that that did not happen. All right, well, let's get into the ne- the next song. Which, a stranglehold! Which <laughs> Paul McCartney said it was his tribute to Motown sound. Got to get you into my life. What did you think about this one, Ken? Oh, my God. Earlier I mentioned, you know, how, uh, you know, Chicago could have been based on Good Day Sunshine. Well, here's furthering the the blueprint, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you could imagine Chicago covering this and Terry Kath, and suddenly I see you, you know, kind of thing. Just imagine that. And then to go one step further on the Sgt. Pepper's uh, soundtrack for the film, You've got Earth, Wind, and Fire tearing this song up like a motherfucker. I mean, it's just so good. It's a beat. If anyone ever thinks the, the the Beatles were just four white guys, and I mean white as a descriptor of non-funkiness in this case, uh, no, it's funk everywhere on this. It's great, you know. And even though the song's probably about wanting to wake and bake, right? Get get a joint on yeah. before like. <laughs> face the world uh god what a great song and i've often heard this song in tandem with baby you can drive my car like i've got to get you into my life so you can be my chauffeur as well but you know (laughs) that's just a whole nother thing but yeah i Uh I love this song and god paul just tears it up He, he brings some of that if there was a song that was going to be recorded in america you gotta figure that good day sunshine and got to get you into my life but EMI said, there's no fucking way we're going mm. to pay to lug the band across just to record that bit, right? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, great track, great track. And it was weird because Good Day Sunshine and Got to Get You Into My Life became hits again in the 70s at some point. And I don't know, because there were, there were a bunch of Beatle compilations released, you know, like when the 50s movement was coming back you had Grease, you had Sha Na Na you had Happy Days and all that stuff they put out Beatles rock and roll music and the single just let me hear some of that rock and roll you know what I mean, and the Beach Boys did a cover of that same song so you would have like these hits that would just appear all of a sudden, like why is everyone listening to Got to Get You Into My Life or Good Day Sunshine now, it just seemed weird for an album that was 10 years old at that time to all of a sudden be on the radio again. It was kind of weird. Hmm. On the pop radio, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. When you think about it, at, at at that time, the Beatles were already a dead band for several years, and it was ten years past, and here those songs were becoming staples again on pop radio. It was kind of cool. Hmm. Yeah. Before there was an oldies for that the Beatles were included in, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the song was his ode to cannabis over alcohol. So that's <laughs> pretty funny. So what'd you think about mm-hmm. it, Lee? Oh, well, um, this is the other song that my English friend from high school said was the other best pop song. And I would say it's pretty clever. And I used to play it on the piano, and I had a lot of fun with it. And I would say uh, I really enjoy it. I, I um, have to kind of be in the specific mood 
just to hear that one song and when I do that's usually just the song that I hear that's how I am with some of the album sometimes I'll hear the whole album and sometimes I'll just hear one song but yeah it's a really good song and the horns you can't beat those horns it's just awesome man yeah and and you brought up the Sgt. Pepper's movie man that soundtrack's great Billy Preston doing Get Back it's like freaking great soundtrack Errol Smith you know doing Come Together uh, was be- the soundtrack was better than the movie, even though I do consider it one of the great B movies of all time. <laughs> huh. And I really didn't oh. care for the Bee Gees, but the Bee Gees are awesome on there with Frampton. The Bee Gees are oh, awesome yeah. everywhere. It's just that at the time, man, how dare they cover the Beatles, right? You had that going. And then there's the second thing. We were being trained that it's either rock or it's nothing. Mm-hmm. And the fact is is if you listen to any of the Bee Gees music from the 70s and 60s it's damn fine music you'd be hard pressed to find better music than the Bee Gees seriously but at the time we had this weird thing like it's like Ralph Vieira our good friend he loves ABBA yeah and fuck anyone who says that he shouldn't you know so we got caught up in this de- death to disco you know thing mm. and when in reality at the time I was like I can't listen to anything disco I fell for the trap I was oh, like 15 wow. right we all we all fell for that trap at some point at some point we all said this phrase disco sucks well I'm here to tell you some disco sucks and some of it is fucking awesome you like mm-hmm. what you like as usual your mileage will vary on things dig what you dig yeah oh yeah so um <laughs> yeah, I, I love this song. It's, uh, what is it? it's a classic horns here, and Paul's voice, man, he's got so much soul. Like you were saying, he's like a black guy could sing this song, and, it, and and when it sound weird, yeah, Paul shows his voice on this song, man, freaking killer song. And then we get to the last song on the album, which you picked, Ken. So here's "Tomorrow Never Knows" on the Freeform um, Rock Podcast.
Okay, that was Tomorrow Never Knows. Why'd you pick that track, Ken? Turn off your mind, relax, and float downstream. Oh, wow, that was cool. That's real. Leave that in there. I like that. What was that? That actually sounded like it was part of the song. <laughs> was oh. cool. Was yeah. that a bird off in the distance, man? But, uh, yeah, great, great song. And drums, drums. Good Lord, the drums. Uh, anybody that says Ringo can't drum, have them have a go at this, you know, because it's uh-huh. not happening, Jack. Yeah. Uh, we talked earlier about Sgt. Pepper being such a groundbreaking thing. Again, it's teed up. I mean, you can't get closer, right? This this is everything that Sgt. Pepper was going to, to become, right? Everything's here. Everything's on Revolver and in this song. And Phil Collins did a pretty cool cover of it. Do you, you guys ever hear that? Yeah, I was going to bring yeah, that up, but you already I did. liked it. Yeah. And yeah. uh, Phil Collins is an awesome know, drummer just like Ringo. And I imagine yep. that, just imagine what George Martin must have thought when he like said, you want to do what? And, <laughs> but yeah. you, the credit to him, because he seemed to be intrigued with whatever direction they'd be going in, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, he could yeah. have said, we're not doing that. Because at the mm. time, they, he was still in the driver's seat creatively, right? But he he took, uh, you know, their ideas and made them real, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, some of, the, of what we had in the song The Word is really in full effect here. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. Oh, but, yeah. Like, yeah. we were talking about how... Um, Love You Too sounds like a, a, a jig and reel, you know? Uh, Indian music doesn't modulate. You pick a key that you're in and it stays in that key, right? Yeah. So this whole time, Tomorrow Never Knows, it's just the whole song is in one chord. Yeah. So, like, you can just sit there and, like, play a C. If I forget which it is. Uh, if it's in C, you know, it'll change to yeah. B flat or something when yeah, that drone yeah. comes in. Actually, but, that's true. In fact, I played it on piano, and that's exactly right. Oh, I didn't think I was crazy, but, you know, uh-huh. every day I have to ask myself. So, uh, uh-huh. it's from the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and he John took one of Ringo's mal- malapropisms, like, you know, when he would say things like, it's been a hard day, and he'd look up night. Yeah. That's where that came from. So, uh, you know... Ringo kind of coined the phrase to this that that became the title but uh, it's just such an excellent song and I don't think that a lot of people understand it and because of the instrumentation they kind of ignore it but you lose it at your own peril right Yeah, you don't like pick up on the song and I'm not sure that John Lennon understood everything he was laying down in it I'm not sure that the, the author of the Tibetan Book of the Dead even understood what he was laying down on all of it, but yeah, good Lord, you know, there's a lot going on here, a lot of wisdom. Float downstream and pick up what you can out of it. Let it wash over you. But yeah, great, great, great. What did you think about it, Lee? It's 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 perfect. I, I love this song. I wish I had picked it. But it's totally cool that Ken picked it because I agree with everything that Ken said. It, you're, 
as you notice, we're both really cool people with with perfect opinions. But anyway, yeah, yeah I, 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 I really dig this song. I um, would play it on piano, and and it's 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 um, not a difficult song to play. It's it's actually the melody is very simple, but just the way they do it um, makes it like you can't really duplicate it. But Pil but Phil Collins did an excellent job of doing a very respectful individual interpretation of it that I that I also like a lot too. And also Phil Manzanera and the group um, 801, they, they do a great version of it too. And um, either the Beatles or the Phil Manzanera in 801 or the Phil Collins, they can't really be duplicated. But, but it's a song that lends itself to interpretation. And, and I think it's probably one of the coolest psychedelic songs that the Beatles ever did. Yeah, John said he wanted his voice to sound like the Dalai Lama chanting from a hilltop. <laughs> I thought mm. that was pretty cool. And uh, also, um, after listening to Tomorrow Never Knows, Klaus Vormann designed the album cover for Revolver after listening to this song. And it says, oh. technical details, a loop was a piece of magnetic tape of variable length on which a sound was recorded and was taped together at each of, the, of its extremities, extremities played back on a tape recorder, the tape loop ran indefinitely. Hmm. And that was that was really because of Paul McCartney. I mean, I don't think Paul McCartney gets enough... Uh, like, everyone thinks of John as the only creative genius. Like, it, it seems like in this world we live in, it's either Coke or Pepsi, it's either yeah. Ford or Chevy... It's either Marvel or DC. It's either Republican or Democrat. It's either. And yeah. meanwhile, there's like that would be like saying, well, you can only have a hamburger or a ham sandwich. Well, fuck spaghetti and fuck you know everything else, right? Yeah. You can only have these two things. But that's you know discounting uh, George Harrison and Ringo Starr and Paul McCartney and John Lennon and George Martin and the guys that were in their inner circle and people like Klaus Vormann. Oh, the yeah. Beatles are not just four people. Nothing is just the thing. It's it's the team working yeah. together. And uh, I saw an interview with the Monkees where they were talking about what they were going to do next and they said, well, we're going to be a band but with four different units. And maybe even more, yeah. like it might be me and Peter working on a song on this one. And it might mm. be uh, three of us working on a track, or it might be all of us, or it might just be me. So it's like they were envisioning what it means to be a group in this interview in Australia. And it was kind of weird that they had to explain that. At the time, the Beatles had already been fucking doing that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But nobody knew. Like, nobody was really pissed off when they got yesterday and went like, well, this, Paul, this is Paul McCartney and it's only him, you know? But think about what would have happened if Paul McCartney would have put that out as a single track. What if the Beatles would have said, listen, if I'm not on it, we can't put it out if it's only one guy. Huh. Yeah. So they were redefining what it meant to be a group, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. So, because we in our heads, we have this, this trip. Speaking of trips, can I read the lyrics? Please, please let me. Please, please, sir. Please, sir. Go I'm surgeon, sir. Please. <laughs> sure. Okay. Sir. All right. Tomorrow never knows. Turn off your mind to relax and float downstream. It is not dying. It is not dying. Lay down all thoughts. Surrender to the void. 
It is shining. It is shining. Yet you may see the meaning of within. It is being. It is being. Love is all, and love is everyone. It is knowing. It is knowing. And ignorance and hate mourn the dead. It is believing. It is believing. But listen to the color of your dreams. It is not leaving. It is not leaving. So play the game, existence, to the end of the beginning. Of the beginning. Hmm. You notice it says ignorance and hate mourn the dead. It is believing. We have this weird culture where if someone dies, they become this huge star, even if they Hmm. weren't before. We, we, we mourn the dead and love the dead to the point where we do not worship what is living. Yeah. yeah. And that's Philosophy 101 with Ken Mills. <laughs> but that's, that's hip. Yeah. Hey, I forgot to tell you guys on Got to Get You Into My Life that even after they're replaced by the brass, the fuzz guitars could, could easily be heard in the left speaker of the stereo mix each time the brass stepped in. Oh, okay. Just okay. shove your head right between the speakers, lad. Take yeah. it. Yep, I, I, I would do that. <laughs> yeah, so this is one yeah. of my... It's funny because I only had Sgt. Pepper's for years, that and the Yellow Submarine soundtrack. Those are the only two Beatles albums I listened to for years. And then oh. in the late 80s, when they finally, I think, late 80s, early 90s, they started releasing the Beatles CDs, finally, since uh, they weren't able to release them. I started buying them, and I go, oh my god, they have so many more songs that I knew and didn't know. <laughs> it was like... Hmm. There's probably still a couple of, or a few songs that I haven't heard yet of the Beatles. I know there's a bunch of the Rolling Stones from the early period, even though that's the period that I listened to, but that I haven't heard. I know this band in what ten years just like transformed music like it's like no other band has done. Mm-hmm. This, it's like this is the best. This band inspired what we're listening to today that you guys don't even know about. It's like well, even even like Britney Spears is somehow inspired by the Beatles, even though she doesn't know it. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Correct. I I've said this for years. And because I've liked to hear the sound of my own voice, I'll say it for more years. But the Beatles planted the tree and everyone else is, you know, in their shade, right? Because that's just mm. the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. They just, like, I don't know, they just transformed pop, rock, metal, even hip-hop has Beatles in them. It's like, it's strange. <laughs> but once again, realize that the Beatles again did not happen in a vacuum like there's people that listen to country or sorry flip that script there are people who listen to the Beatles that would never listen to country but if you don't like have like if you've never heard Buck Owens and the Buckaroos then you're missing out on where the Beatles got some of their sound just like if you don't listen to Buddy Holly you're missing out on where the Beatles came from right yeah or uh-huh. even Elvis they loved Elvis mm-hmm. too Oh, they absolutely, and Little Richard, and so on and so on. So nothing happens in a vacuum, and just as much as, like, uh, you know, uh, the the Beatles uh, were influenced everybody. Everybody influenced them as well, right? And yeah. they would tell you that. And you know, like I said, whether it's the homage to Motown that we heard on this album or other things, you know, mm-hmm. it's all there, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd like to uh, 
thank you, Ken, for coming on our show. And, and running so my much. big yapper and yeah. taking over the place and yeah. doing all this uh-huh. stuff. But uh, Oh, it's okay because next week I'm going to take over and say a whole bunch of stuff that... Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Ken, can you promote some of your podcasts? You have a million of them. All righty then. I've got more podcasts than a man should have. Um, <laughs> and I've, I've come up to a, a thing that I've realized that like... I used to think, well, I do all these different shows and now I realize... That's not the case. It's I do one show. It just comes out on different channels, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, figure that one out, you know. <laughs> so like the thing is, is like I used to think because we, I do a show about kids called the Podkist, and you can find it on www.podkist.com. I do a show about Cheap Trick called Cheap Talk. You can check that out. Do a search for Cheap Trick Podcast. Chances are will come up. I do a show called Zilch. It's all about the monkeys, the TV show, the band, everything, the movie, the tours, the whole world. And believe me, there's a whole world. And I do one called mm-hmm. Pop, which is about everything. I could talk about Jaws if I wanted to. I We've done shows about Superman, uh, where teenagers came from. Believe it or not, that's one of my favorite episodes. Uh, mm. Comic book artists, uh, TV shows, movies, stamp collecting we haven't done a stamp collecting show but we could and then i have a show called the fun size show which is a game show in which people come on and i have uh three guesses and 10 questions to try to ascertain or figure out the mystery song and artist that the other person has chosen and sometimes we turn the tables and have the guest guess my pick and that's a lot of that's Mm. a lot of fun it's called fun size because uh, I'm sure that this song is going to be at least, or, or this this podcast is going to be at least two and a half hours long, at least, yeah. because I ran my mouth a lot, so it's all my fault. But I I think that the Fun Size Show is a mini podcast. It's only like fifteen to twenty five minutes long. That way, it doesn't ruin your dinner for other longer, bigger podcasts. It's just right. It's fun size. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Cool. And so then we are going to play you guys out with the tracks of the week and you're going to have to send me the monkeys live one and also the alex jewels so i could put these on uh, i will so here's lee well, wait 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 oh, wait ahead. wait can be, before oh oh i don't want to tell you i do your show but can i explain a little bit why i picked this song okay cool should i do that now or after? yeah go for it well let me okay. introduce them and then you explain it all right okay. we got the litter from lee he picked for what it's worth i guess it's a cover of buffalo springfield Yep. And then we got me. I picked a newer band, uh, Rival Sun, Sugar on the Bone from the new album, Feral Bones. Check that one out. They're really good. They don't sound like any other band. They sound like a mishmash of all your 70s rock mixed with a little 80s. You know, they're not like Greta mm-hmm. Van Fleet sounding Led Ze- like Led Zeppelin, even though I do like that band, but not as much as Rival Sons. And mm-hmm. then we have Ken's pick. Mon- the Monkeys Circle Sky Live. Go ahead and explain why you picked this track. I picked this track because I saw the Monkeys Live this weekend, and it may be their last U.S. show. And we didn't know that going to it, but just as we were pulling into the parking lot of the venue, we saw that Mike posted that this was, in fact, possibly the last U.S. Monkeys show. And it was kind of weird. On this album, Revolver, we talked about how... It's not about a, a gun, but it's about the spinning thing, the thing that goes round and round on the turntable, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the Monkees made an album called Head 
to go along with a movie called Head. And it's all about having to do the same thing over and over again, whether it's on your job or reincarnation or life. But it seems like you're stuck in a loop at times. I don't care what it is or how it is, but you, you sometimes feel like you're stuck in a loop, right? Yeah. This song is one of the songs off head and there are other songs on that album about like for example there's a song called daddy's song and it's it's about uh, a fellow who grew up under a cruel father and when he gets older and has kids he doesn't want that cycle to continue there's another song do i have to do this all over again and then there's this song circle sky and this version of this song is the band playing live when you hear it Listen to the drum fills. That's Mickey Dolan's actually playing drums. A couple years before this, he didn't play drums. He had to learn while he was on the set. They, Peter Tork mm-hmm. taught him the rudimentaries of drumming while mm-hmm. they were filming the TV show, recording records. That's when Mickey became a drummer. And even though they didn't play on their first two albums all the way, by the third and fourth albums, it was them. This... Yeah. This song is them live. They recorded this for the film Head. And this is them live. So when you hear someone playing the organ, that's Davy Jones. And percussion, that's Davy Jones. That's Mickey Dolans on drums. Peter Tork on bass. Mike Nesmith on guitar. And lead vocals. So this is the Monkees live. The real deal. Yeah. All right. We'd like to thank you again, Ken. And uh, mm-hmm. man, I don't know how to end this. Just say goodbye, I guess. I'll end it by saying thank you, Lee. Thank you, Lee. Um, I'm, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, I want to thank you guys for having me on. Seriously, oh, I appreciate sure. it. And uh, just keep doing what you do and love what you do. That's just as important. Yeah, right this on. is this is fun. We don't do it for money. We just do it so people could hear us talk. <laughs> yeah. Or not. Uh, thank you, Ken, again. And uh, I always end it by say goodbye, Lee. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. you think you better stop now what's that sound everybody gets to see what's going down don't you think you better stop what's that sound everybody gets to see what's going down Resistance 
Now let's get into the promos. Hello folks, this is the Rock Sponge Terrence Reardon of the Terrence Reardon and Friends Podcast. Join yours truly every week as I look at a different classic rock and or metal album that had an impact on my life and or rock music in general, and I'm usually joined by a friend or two. And there's no country or rap or techno bullshit on the show because I hate those fucking music genres. Techno and rap and country sucks. So if you want a kick-ass rock and roll podcast, check out the Terrence Reardon and Friends Podcast every week on YouTube and now on Podbean and iTunes. So yes, folks, I'm available in two different, three different ways. Podbean and iTunes for the audio and YouTube for the visual. Thank you very much. From New York. Hey, 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 hey! What up, bangers? From North Carolina. Skitter pal, meow meow. This is Bushy. And the Mountain. Tune in every week for your listening pleasure only on the plug with Bushy and the Mountain Man. You can find us on Podbean and iTunes. Thank you very much. That's right, bangers. Cold beer, hot women, loud music, and copious amounts of hairspray and spandex. Every Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern, the Big Bushy Power Hour is the biggest party on that metal station.com. You haven't listened to Mars Attacks podcast? What are you waiting for, man? Host Victor M. Ruiz brings you all types of hard rock and metal-based podcasts. You'll find everything from music-based episodes, interviews, to series such as ultra-sexy classic album series, where some of your favorite musicians, producers, journalists, and show hosts comments on the albums that push the evolutionary chains of hard rock and metal. Get with it and go to MarsAttacksRadio.com to find out more. Punch it! Get blasted! Hey, this is Lee Gerstmann. And if you like to hear some stuff that's like, you don't know what it's going to be, and even if it's stuff that I don't even know what it's going to be, check me out on what I call the Lee Gerstmann Show. And it's just me doing reviews or me doing horsing around or whatever I'm doing. Check it out, please. You have just listened to the Freeform Rock Podcast. All music played on the Freeform Rock Podcast belongs to its owner. If you like it, go out and buy it. Get your music on Amazon, iTunes, or at your local record store. Support what you love. Support the artist by seeing them live. Purchase their music. The Freeform Rock Podcast is not affiliated with any of the artists or music that we play. Thank you for listening to the Freeform Rock Podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. Until next time, stay free and rock on.